What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, episode 55, here with my resident homies, as always, Casey, Joel, and Joseph. What up, dudes? Um, thank you all for meeting us once again on this Friday. Um, love you guys, all the subscribers, all the new listeners, all the people that are telling your friends. Fucking, We love all that shit, dude. Make this shit grow as much as we can possibly make this grow. And I love that it's still growing every week, so... Kudos to you guys and uh, fuck yeah. So hit us up on the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, all that shit. We're there. Um, I actually, recently, we've been talking about this. Like we we go out and get our guests. Well, if, if you are in a band, if you're an artist, you know, anybody in this scene or adjacent to the scene, if you feel like you want to try and get on the podcast, feel free to hit us up, dude, because... You know, I mean, we're still getting plenty of guests, but it'd be cool to see like who wants to actually try and get on this thing. And, you know, we're, we're not biased to anything. You could be a brand new band that's trying to push your, your shit. You could be, uh, you know, up at the fucking top and, and actually be a fan of this shit would be, be awesome too. But just, yeah, we want, we want to see how we can like see, get more guests on just, you know, out of, you know, we're not even expecting for these guys to be on, but they're here, you know? So yeah. we want that. We want that feeling for sure. Just hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. It's the easiest to send yeah. us a message. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we are messaging pe people that we know and friends, but like, we're super down to have other people on. Just hit us up, dude. We're down. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, that, uh, awesome. we're, we're definitely at a point where, I think that it'd be cool to just like for us to be surprised by a guest as well, you know, yeah. like to get somebody on that we barely, we didn't even know. And then all of a sudden they're blowing our minds and shit. That would be fucking awesome. So we want to see if we can get something that in our season two, if this is, we, we can call this season two. Um, this week, it's super exciting for me. This guy, um, I, I hit him up a while ago. Things got crazy and we we lost touch but we got back in touch and and i know that it behind the scenes i've talked to these guys many a times of getting one or more of the members of a stratosphere on today we have tim Sm smallins or smolins 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 yeah and 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 you guys i've said this about canvas and i'm going to say this again if you're a listener of this podcast and you have not heard this band yet a stratosphere or his new project high castle tele orchestra you guys are doing yourself a disservice right now um i know if there's anybody out there that's listening to this it's only fucking metal then come on guys let's fucking let's expand a little bit here let's let's get out we if you're gonna if you're gonna be in a death metal band and only listen to death metal, you're gonna sound like everything you fucking listen to. So, in order to not do that, venture outside of death metal, and you'll realize that there are super fucking talented musicians all around. And dude, a Stratosphere is one of those bands that literally I would put in my top five all time performances that I've ever seen. I've literally brought people to their show watch them get hypnotized without even knowing what the fuck was going to happen to them. I've seen people drop drinks. I've seen people just fucking <laughs> sitting there in awe that it, it, it happens every time you watch this. Well, now you guys are defunct, but when you were able to see this band, it was such a fucking treat. And thank you so much, Tim, for being here with us, dude. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's fun. Um, 
Yeah. One that, uh, the band legend has sort of seemed to grow even after we stopped, you know, we stopped in like 2007 um, mm-hmm. and it only seems to have grown and hit other generations and stuff. So I didn't even realize that was happening until the last couple of years, really. So well, that cool. just show, shows that you guys were ahead of your time, dude. It needed the, the masses needed to catch up and, and, here they are now realizing like what the fuck was going on back in the early 2000s in Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a few death metal bands and some reggae bands here, but what the fuck, dude? There's this a stratosphere project, which literally will hit you in the face with pretty much every genre of music you can think of in one set, you know, and, and do sometimes it in so- the same song. Sometimes, most, a lot of times in the same song, and they'll blow your fucking socks off, dude, while they're doing it super talented dudes and tim i want to know a guy who is a part of this band that i just so highly praise and and see so much talent i want to know your origins like when when you were a child oh man you're asking for it okay yes oh i want you gotta we gotta go way back with it dude man i'm gonna get something off the wall for you right now all right dude fuck yeah i don't know how well you can see this but these were the articles written about me when I was little. He might be a giant. This guy has jammed with Slash and CC Deville. There's nice. Metal Edge magazine behind there. Wow! So, um, dude. I'll give you the little uh, the short story of like the the origins. Nine years old, saw La Bamba, and I was like, okay, I play guitar. That actually kind of came back because you know that nowadays I'm like way into like fifties and doo-wop music in you know addition to all this other stuff. So that kind of sat in my head for some reason that like fifties sort of post doo-wop music. But anyway, saw La Bamba and I was like, I play guitar. So my parents got me guitar, got me lessons, super supportive. Um, Were your parents musical at all? Not really. My mom could play like um, some piano that she just would like sight read, but no, nothing other than that. So not Mm -hmm. really, but um, my dad loved music. He would always sit into the in the pool and just listen to music all summer long, but uh, didn't play anything. So anyway, you know, played a couple of years like that. And this was in the 80s. So all the hair metal bands started coming out and um, Guns N' Roses eventually, which was kind of the saving grace if you liked hair metal, because it's one of those bands. It's, you know, their first record is actually still good mm-hmm. compared to any of that other stuff. Um, and so I was sort of on that road to being a shredder. And then... Uh, when when Nirvana came out, what was I in seventh grade? It was suddenly not really cool to 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 play fast and all that stuff. And I was pretty self conscious of it because I would actually get like, I mean, it wasn't like horribly made fun of, but I'd go in. I remember ninth grade going in, and people had known about these articles, and they would just be like Shredder, and like <laughs> it kind of stuck with me a little bit. So I, you know, I wasn't young enough i mean i wasn't mature enough to be like i don't care what they think or whatever so i was like i just ended up switching to bass i was like okay i'll play bass if it's not cool to shred i'll play bass um it's not so cool i did that shred. that's crazy to think like you would get made fun of if you were like shredding on guitar yeah it's funny the the guys who used to do that ended up being like huge fans of ours like and they're like oh my god i can't believe it turned <laughs> yeah, out like this but uh, <laughs> we were very supported like i'm not gonna lie we came from a pretty affluent background like 
my dad was a doctor and the guitar player, Jason, I grew up with him, the guitar players um, for Stratosphere, Jason Schimmel. We grew up in the same town. Both of our dads were doctors. My parents were like incredibly supportive, like, oh, you want studio gear? And we're, you know, we're playing in the, the big room in our house and eventually like, oh, should I just get you an industrial space and blah, blah, blah. And like kind of kept us out of trouble in a, in a certain way because that's all we did. I wasn't going you know, to the 90210 parties where people were driving their Porsche off the cliff and stuff. Uh, they, I'm not kidding, man. It was, it was a crazy little town where the parents weren't watching too closely. So what town was this? Is it- uh, Palos Verdes. It's the, it's like the hill over Los Angeles in the right near Long okay. Beach. Okay. Um, so yeah, we eventually had our own, you know, industrial space. So we were just kind of evolving. Like we played, you know, we played the hair rock and then the next year we played high school, like at our, lunch for high school once a year we'd have this big concert I remember the first year it was kind of like classic rock and maybe some hair metal type of stuff and the next year it was like grunge but then somewhere in the middle there we'd heard Mr. Bungle and like everything changed like we stopped playing everything we did and was like became sort of I won't say copycats but you know when you're talking about a you know 10th or 11th graders it's kind of cute it's not so much lame like like it would be if you're like 32 and like we're trying to be Mr. Bungle but we yeah. would play some really weird, like confrontational shows at our school. I'm not even sure how they let us on after a certain point. We would have what'd to have what you guys, what, what'd you guys play noise and uh, what was the name you guys played under? We were Don Salsa. Oh yeah, which, okay, yeah, which is I've the band that yeah, yeah. yeah. the Stratosphere. At least Jason and I and my brother Doug, a couple other guys from the South Bay and uh, L.A. There, nice. So yeah, we would like play at our our school each year, once a year. And, uh, you know, the third year it got real weird because we were playing like confrontational noise and really bizarre cover songs like Richard Marks ballads, metal style, um, Italian songs. And and it was really, I mean, we were trying to be, con- it's almost like how Bungle used to go out during the Disco Volante tour and people would be like, girls are porn. And then they would just sit there and play like one note of noise for like 15 minutes. <laughs> it was almost like that. They were just had this, like, we want the school to think we're totally, you know, weirdos. Yeah. But um, so we did that two years in a row and we did have the luxury, like I was saying, of a, we had an industrial space um, and a little studio there and we could practice. And my parents were like super liberal about stuff. Like, Oh, you know, stay out all night on Saturday, even though you're in high school. Like they just, they kind of didn't care. We'd be, so we had, um, do you guys remember what ADATs are? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I had like the first ADAT in Los Angeles. My dad was like real, um, connected. Let me show you one more thing off the wall. Let's see. Okay. That's his, um, he was, my dad was kind of known as the rock doc. So that's, that's his uh, use your illusion from guns and roses, which he was on. He's the doctor's voice on coma. No um, shit. Yeah. He oh worked um, like he's an ER doc. So he worked like graveyard at Cedar Sinai and Beverly Hills for like the majority of his career. So every rock star, every blah, blah, blah. And he used to just get numbers and he'd be like, pick me up from school and be like, we're going up to see Slash right now, or we're going to go to to Axel, you know, to the recording studio and watch Axel record or go to a party at Billy Idol's house. And, so uh Fuck, dude. That was kind of my what age were you at that like we were going 10 to that 11 12 13 wow. Yeah. wow yeah so yeah. that was um you know so he ended up um yeah just getting he had access like we got the first aid at and then we ended up getting two more so we could record you know we had a Tascam big like 24 channel mixing board so we could record 24 tracks and i don't know if you've heard the don salsa record but it's really extreme sort of like disco volante naked city 
high yeah. school kids going crazy. Yeah. And totally. like the first song's like 30 minutes long, but we would record these little like 30 or 45 second segments that were like a song within a song. And then we would, you know, clip them together later by just like pressing play on the tape and hoping that it comes in at the same time, you know, at the mastering studio, like on a DAT machine. Um, so we would, we would record like 22 tracks and then I would never do this now, but we would like commit to the entire mix to two tracks and then record like 22 more and do that as many times as we needed to, to get, you know, however many tracks. And then in the mastering studio, we had access, um, through my dad again to this place called Bernie Grunman mastering, which, um, they did like they did everything, all the Michael Jackson stuff, and they even did Disco Volante. But it's like the the go to mastering house that my dad could just get it for free. So we were having the guy, and this was like pre digital, so it was like pressing play and hoping that the segment is at the right spot. And anyway, the album turned out really good. Um, after high school, Jason, um, you know, my parents were. I, I just decided I'm not going to go to college. I'm like cool, and I, they were like too much, too liberal. They like should have been like, no, have a backup plan. Mm-hmm. And my dad's a doctor. You'd think like he'd be like, no, you got to do. They just were like cool. And like in retrospect, like I wouldn't even tell my kids that. Like I'd be like, no, have something and whatever. It's hard to make a living in music, but mm-hmm. do it. But you know, have another backup plan or something. But so Jason went to. Um, his parents weren't going to say that. So they said, you know, got to go to college. So he went to UC Santa Cruz and I kind of followed him up there a couple months later um, after I finished the Don Salsa record. And um, so I went up there and that's sort of where Astratosphere started. Um, long story short, you know, at the music department there, they met, you know, saxophonist John Hooley, um, who comes from more of like a jazz and jam band background and world music type of stuff. Um, Violinist Timba Harris was there. And at the time he was very much like a classical player, but he had a really good like sense of music and like um, could play things very precisely, like was less, you know, less um, able to improvise at that time and more into just like here, play this melody. And which is kind of what we needed. You didn't need everyone to just be like going crazy with improv all the time. You needed some people that could actually execute some stuff. So he was good. And then, uh, you know, I think the, really the big driving force was when Jason met Dave Murray, our drummer in the jazz program there, um, the original drummer of a stratosphere. And he was like, he is pretty much a straight up metalhead. He likes some jazz fusion and stuff like that too. But he is the, well, the kind of guy that could tell you all these subgenres of metal and which album is classic and all that stuff where, Jason Jason knew a little bit more of that stuff than I did, but Dave really knew his stuff. So Jason and I were bringing that sort of naked city, Mr. Bungle. We were also learning jazz at the time. So our like actual musicianship was. Getting so how better. do you come across real quick? Sorry to cut yeah, you yeah. off. No, no, you, no, no. How do you come across a naked city? Who Who is the one who fed naked city to you? It was just following the Bungle tree because we knew Bungle first. And it's like, oh, Zorn produced their first album. Then, oh, Zorn makes a bunch of music and. I don't love all of Zorn's music because he just does so much of it. And yeah. some of it is a little bit hard to listen to, but Naked City is very sort of pleasing and just kind of cuts right to the chase of like a really good arrangement and incorporating yeah. noise and jazz. And not that's where metal, I think that I, I actually nailed like a stratosphere more as a band that would come from, you know, Zorn than Bungle, even though there's obviously like, you know, if you're just looking at things, it's like they're both taken from the same book. But right. I, I always got more of like the um, the Eastern feel of like gypsy jazz. Yeah. 
would come right. more that's, from that's not Zorn. super bungly. Yeah. It just happened to be that in high school, what we heard first was bungle. And then we kind of branched out from there. And I, I think honestly, some of the, you know, what brought us out of like a, a bungle copycat purgatory, which we could have been headed for was sort of exploring some of those influences that bungle was pointing at, especially on disco volante, where you're talking about Italian film soundtracks and all of this sort of, German film soundtracks and all this stuff where people think like, oh, is it like King Crimson they're listening to or Zappa? It's like, no, that's not any of those things. It's Ennio Morricone. It's Peter Thomas. It's Joe Meek. It's the Beach Boys. Um, where it's not the things people think. Like, I don't know how to say it. it's like people listen to our music and what they take away from it is like the proggy part of it or the technical part. Mm-hmm. But to bands like us, and especially like Bungle, like it's it's sort of the aesthetic of the recording that is almost the most important thing. I mean, obviously the songs are important, but especially on Disco Volante in California, where they have that super analog vibe and the old like sort of old style of recording. It's, it's less it's more about that than it is playing a million notes an hour and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. anyway, just to sort of finish that whole Stratosphere story is um, w- once we got to playing with Dave, Dave was the real like who would egg us on like more metal. Like we got to do some more metal and Jason would be like, okay. And Jason could play the metal, but he probably wasn't going to want to like, to say like, let's do the metal. So like Dave would really be the sort of, you know, antagonist to, to, to turn things more metal. And and he has that unique sense of, um, you know, by that point he was really into like Meshuggah and sort of the polyrhythm type of metal. Um, and so he had that, we, we sort of mixed that all in together and, and we had a stratosphere there. And like you said, we were branching out at that time and listening to more like, I hate the term, but world music, like, mm-hmm. you know, Romanian folk music, you know, like Tarafti Hajduks and Bulgarian, like Ivo Papasov and his Bulgarian wedding orchestra and things that were showing us those odd meters and then those ornamentations that where you're playing the double and the triple notes um, in the melodies. So that's kind of how it all how it all long answer to yeah. a simple question. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, dude. And I love it all. And um, I mean, so it's understood when, what year did that one come out? That's a good question. I want to say like 99. Oh, the first one. Yeah. It's 99. Okay. Hunger yeah. strike. Great fucking way to start yeah. the album too, dude. Yeah. And you guys do, that's a 19 minute uh, song. Yeah, you guys expand that to like a half an hour live. Yeah, Live. It gets pretty way. I, we definitely <laughs> add some like, almost like fish element or something. There, there's definitely like points where it has gotten like very jammy um, mm-hmm. sometimes to excess. Sometimes we found that happy medium. If you can do it at the right point in the show, they can tolerate that. Um, we definitely experimented through it. Cause John was definitely very into that sort of jam thing. And, and most of us kind of weren't that much, but we would try to be open to it. And I think we had varied success at, at turning some of our songs jammy, but I, I'm sure there were shows that were like way too wanky for some of our more geeky fans who like just wanted to hear the tunes. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you think Santa Cruz had a big influence too? Like you talk about Timba being like more of a, a classical player than he goes to Santa Cruz and do you think like the psychedelia of Santa Cruz kind of morphed him a little bit to be like to be more like avant-garde and, and take that to and as a band too mm-hmm. yeah and Timba had a little beat this besides the fact that he was a classical player he had already had some like he had been to fish shows and I think Grateful Dead shows and he was kind of coming at it from all angles um so he already had a little bit of that in his blood. And the, the band is just so Santa Cruz. It's just so California to, to put all those things together. Um, we had got, um, we, 
there was this house, like, you know, the, obviously the housing situation, like, where do you practice in Santa Cruz? It's so expensive. There's no rent control. There's just ridiculous rent. So like, what are we going to do? We knew this guy who was actually this um, really good musician who was, who had this house, nine eleven mission street. Yep, I've uh, we, been there. We lived there for, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was maybe eight years or something. Um, and before we got there and this guy was living there, there was like three or four like independent drug dealers, like functioning out of that house. And it was like a totally <laughs> ghetto house. Um, and so, but I convinced this guy, I was like, you're moving. Like, let me just take over your lease. And without telling the landlords, they don't bump. And they just did. And this landlord, this was just under their, they were just collect their little check. It was like 1200 bucks or something for a five bedroom, huge living room, which we turned into our practice room. And my studio, I put in my bedroom. So we'd run a snake down. And, you know, that's how we recorded the first record because I didn't know that much about like fidelity and going into better studios for drums and things like that. But um, what do you so think about that? What do you think about like uh, musicians living together and, and their, you know, um, output and, and, you know, the quality of their music because they're around each other all the time. Like odious live together at the furniture. Probably not a good idea in general, (laughs) honestly, like you could move in with your, we've all done this. You move in with your best friend and you're like, that's how you do the dishes or whatever it is. Like why are the toilet paper rolls disappearing like faster than anyone could. There's always these odd things where you just kind of wish you didn't know. Um, It was good because we were in our young twenties. Not everyone lived in that house. Like, Dave never lived in that house. The drummer, he would never, he would, Dave was always more of a like bed by 10 o'clock. He doesn't drink or anything. He's just a very kind of healthy person. Um, and Timba only lived there, I think for like a summer or something where he slept on the couch. So it was like Jason and I mainly who lived there. And then, so they would come over. So if we were all in the same house, it would have been just like totally insane. Yeah. And, I think it's true with like anyone that you love or know or anything. Like if you live, I mean, ex- excluding probably wife and family, but I mean, still, like, I'm sure they still bug you sometimes too, because you're just in. Does it's it probably usually me that's bugging them. But. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it could be your your favorite person in the world, but like if you, you know, spend enough time with them, like on, let's say if you make it big in a band and you're spending that much time with them on a tour bus or something, like if they just like like look sneeze the wrong way, you're like fuck you. You know what I mean? Like I had you know, a good just, friend I lived with, and he after he'd do the dishes, he would put them all out on the table like to dry. And I was just like, what? <laughs> get, like, a fucking, no. get a dish towel, bro. And throw them in the fucking cabinet, dude. Yeah. And and the toilet paper disappearing too. That's all real. Like uh, there's, there's a bunch of those kind of stories, but I think the fact that we're in our young twenties, yeah. I mean, that place, you know, that is like the center of town with all oh, the people we ended up knowing from UC Santa Cruz comes with the bus comes right down the hill there. People just show up at that place all the time. It was a fun place to live. I have a lot of fond memories of just the sort of social scenes surrounding there, but we could rehearse there. We could record there, um, you know, and then, in a way we were never quite the same again, at least as far as the old incarnation, once we lost that house, cause we lost our place to rehearse. Um, then Dave had left the band or all this stuff. So we can get into some of that stuff of just like what happened, you know, but for the, that was sort of the, I'm describing the the beginning era of a stratosphere. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we kind of just want, I want to just at least touch on every album real quick. So yeah. Buck, Buck fever was actually, my first introduction to you guys, I got to credit Mike Gilbert, my guitar player in Severed Savior. We were uh, going to grab some Jack in the Box or something after a fucking rehearsal day. And uh, he put on the Dapper Bandits. Oh, nice. And it was one of those 
you know, life altering moments where I'm like, wow. there's other bands like Zorn and Bungle. Cause I grew up, I Bungle was like a, a one of those. I stumbled across it early in my life. I was thinking I was like 15. Yeah. And I didn't realize how it rewired me, you know, to be ready for a lot of the shit that I was going to come across later yeah, on in life. It did, man. Same and, here. And, uh, getting the dapper hearing the dapper bandits and 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 realizing like that this band's down in santa cruz they're an hour away from me like how the fuck is that happening just an hour away from me and and so i bought buck fever and i listened to it religiously i probably listened to that song at least over a hundred times in my life dude i listened to it more than me (laughs) i listened to it today and i'm just like yes i fucking love this shit dude um and there's there is the element of showing how you guys can bring metal out of something that was not metal at all before it it gets to the metal part in that song you know right which is just and, the end pretty much except for the one chug there's a single chug of metal yeah. yeah we called that a chug a lone chug totally dude and that that was that was where he was like wait no you got to pay attention because i didn't know that any metal was up until that point of that song you didn't know any metal was coming you know didn't think it was possibility yeah when that when that little like circusy part starts he's like okay listen then all boom hit with the chug real quick because he had a super loud fucking stereo system in his car nice but then the the off time shit that's going on with dave on drums at that part too dude that shows his well, that's actually just a simple one that's that's actually a, i think it's three over two it's actually a, one of the simpler polyrhythms but it still sounds jarring when you're expecting a waltz totally totally and for a, a dumb stoner like me who doesn't know how to count music it's the nice cup of tea nice cup of tea the the jarring aspect of it is definitely real for me you know so i love that song the uh the silent elk of oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah. That song is so sick. Yeah, that's yeah. that's okay. All you metal guys that are listening to this right now, um, that might be your first song to go into. Silent Elk of Yesterday, or uh, a, was it a, a, a very, intense very intense battle? battle. Yeah, that's a long straight metal song basically if we're if we're jumping and saying favorite songs, I'm just gonna go ahead and drop. I was gonna say this pre-pod, but I decided to wait for this. I describe um, a corporate merger on Palace of Mirrors as my favorite song I've ever heard. I think it's my favorite wow. song. Thank I, you. I literally say like overall, I ask, I have so many friends I've told this to. So though anyone that's listening that knows me knows that this is true, but um, just the fucking journey it takes you on. And then yeah. it fucking, it goes through this, like it goes through, like starts off super mellow. goes into like a funk part, like a slap kind of like, I remember even uh, Lee was telling me like working on that part. It was like some it's fucked hard. up. That's hard. Like a, yeah. Yeah. It was like some fucked up time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, it's what it's like an eight minute song or something. And it's like, it's like the classic song form, A, B, A, but, but yeah. B just happens to be like a million other things, but uh. <laughs> totally. And just how it like, you know, the very end part with, you know, with the, with Timba's melody over it and stuff over just the kind of like the, you know, like metal part of it, the recalling Not, of the of the initial melody, the recalling but as supercharged, fast, exactly, metal, yeah, and then and then yeah. just softening it right back out into the intro, just like as if just, nothing happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what I loved about it. Just took me on some like 
insane journey. And I, I literally, I li- that's literally probably one of my most listened to songs like ever might be that's, like, that's a fun one. I mean, I think one thing I could say here, kind of bridging the gap on like all the things we just talked about is in general, a stratosphere used metal in a different way than I'm not trying to like say, we're like, Oh, we're so original, but like, it's a weird thing that most metal bands, like you're either metal or you're not right. It's not like there's this thing where metal for us, metal was never an aesthetic that we lived by. It wasn't like we're a metal band. We, we did have a couple songs. Like you mentioned, a silent elk of yesterday is pretty traditional black metal and very intense battle. It's not traditional like death metal, but or like, kind of sepultura kind of like, but, but it has all those elements where it's kind of a straightish metal song. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is more like corporate merger where metal to us was not a way of life. It was literally a dynamic that the song could get to. So if you forget about that, like I'm a metal head or this is just how we are, we're just metal and, and just, you know, use metal as a place that a song could go to increase the dynamic range and intensity it suddenly takes on a whole new life. And I'm not sure, sure why we're, you know, one of the only bands to have done that. Um, it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense because I, I couldn't metal like straight metal for me. It's not, is not really my thing. Like I can listen to it, but it's definitely not something I was ever like just a pure metal head at any point in my life. So Mm. doing something else with it is interest me because you can use it on more of like a rhythmic element and a dynamic element and, um, just turn a, a song. There's no reason why you can't have melodies or gypsy melodies or fast melodies totally. or pretty melodies like uh, with metal going on at the same time. Well, I think one of the, a lot of the things that impress, you know, metalheads and everything, you know, people, a lot of musicians, I would say, are, are fans of your band. Like it's it's more yeah, it's people that have picked up guys that play music. Exactly. And that's kind of even where we're coming from, because we were like playing a crazy technical style of death metal where it would just be a bunch of, you know, a ton of musicians in the, in the audience. But once you pick up the guitar, you start jamming for a while, you start understanding what music's all about. And then, you you know, you progress and progress and progress. Then you're like. And then you finally have like this kind of like idea of what's going on musically in, in your life and stuff like that. Then you hear a band like a stratosphere where they're like, cool, they're really good at metal when they want to do it. They're really good at, you know, Romanian gypsy jazz when they want to do it. They're really good at like all these basically like I just describe you guys as like, oh, I think they're all have doctorates in music or something because they're like fucking insane. Like, they, yeah, we they got- literally. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Oh, please. You. I was just I was just about to say it's like they they were the band of musicians that I felt were capable of doing anything they wanted to do. When watching you guys live, literally, I was like, these guys can do anything they want to do. So I gave that impression. <laughs> if, if, if music is a drug like for your brain, like a healthy drug. Right. Yeah. So like all different albums are like you put that on and you repeat it because it feels good or it like makes you think and it sure. expands your brain. And uh, it, like I was like driving around just like listening to a stratosphere like all week. And like I was like doing like going to the store today and just I was like like drinking coffee and everything and listening. And I was just like. I feel like I'm getting smarter, like listening to a stratosphere. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, like it's like new age like, classical, like, like yeah, yeah. It's like it's like listening to like physicists talk about stuff I don't understand, but I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but I'm counting along, and I'm like, oh, that's nine. Okay, I hear the one, and I'm like, yeah, like. Are you guys influenced by that Take Five album that Dave Brubeck at all, like that? Not not me personally. I mean, okay, I've played the song before. I've played um, some yeah. jazz. I used to play coffee. Take five, like the famous, and, the yeah. famous yeah, take nineteen fifty nine. Yeah, like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no. Well, reason. There's that song in nine, like dun 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 dun, dun, dun or whatever. It's like that. Like, it kind of has that. What's it called? That song? But it's like in nine eight. 
That's uh, yeah. isn't that Blue Rondo a la Turk? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. I think that's nice. yeah. And that kind of reminds me of some of the Stratosphere. Return stuff. is in nine on the Off Palace of Mirrors. Yeah, Yeah, super cool. I love it. So like, my my brain was just all like, I'm like. Ah, yes. I'm getting smarter Like as I'm listening to your That's music. That's a lot dude. of math. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. it's cool that it comes off like that because I, I'm the kind that always, you know, I'm not like a self, I'm not self-loathing or I'm like, we suck, but I'm also not like always yeah. like, oh, we're the greatest. Like we've played with bands that, you know, we've played with, um, we had that band from Norway come out, Farmer's Market. Um, oh, I was about oh, to shit. bring them up because the you, uh, you guys showed them. Yeah, the accordion you guys, you guys is my band now. Um, yeah. I mean, the degree to which those guys were better than us, like at every single, they didn't play metal, but, but everything else, as far as like, they went to Bulgaria and studied the ornamentations and we had to more of a California take on, you know, gypsy music. There was, there was nothing authentic about what we were doing as far as like traditional music. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But um, these guys could play jazz. We, we could play jazz. Okay. Jason's a very good jazz player. I could kind of hang. Dave could kind of hang. John's a very good, um, like jazz soloist. Timba wasn't really a jazz player, but we could hang, but you farmer's market are like world-class jazz totally. musicians and Bulgarian and odd time. And, or, and, and, you know, so it's like, I knew we were good and I'm glad it comes off to, you know, to the average listener, like, Oh my God, these guys are like doing next level stuff. But there's to us, some of the stuff is like eh, kind of a hack as far as the like Romanian gypsy thing, but at least we're doing our own thing with it or whatever. So it's yeah, not, at least you're tackling like 17 other genres too. So you know, yeah. like, like, you're Which, really, you're really solid and good at every genre is what, like basically what I see. Which really changed as we went on, right? Like Buck Fever, I mean, the song I wrote on there, Meteorite Showers, is the epitome of like genre, 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 genre. And then mm -hmm. Palace of Mirrors, I'm not sure there's much genre changing within songs. I mean, except at like going metal, but it's not like it goes like polka for eight bars and then goes to, you know, death metal and then to jazz and like it's like no, there was definitely one vibe per song basically yeah there was definitely that change that i noticed that, well, cohesiveness I mean, yeah co uh, after what quadrupus yeah uh, which was still it, it it was like your bridge record from that younger more humorous style yeah. that we were talking mm -hmm. about into something. I mean, I'm not saying that the earlier stuff wasn't mature because I had merit. It was, it was more, I mean, we were making fun of, you know, parodies on boy bands and winger and mm -hmm. there was all kinds of stuff, video games and it was all fun, but you know, after but a then, little while, you, you that's what I, that's what I wanted to get narrative. to. Yeah. Mainly was, was that what made you guys say, okay, Let's let's fucking go for it on this one because you guys really fucking went for it on yeah, Palace I and could, Mirrors. I could sort of break that down a little bit. Um, so one thing I think we lacked through much of our, um, you know, those earlier albums is like an actual vision. Like, what is this song about? A philosophical. We came up with a theme like Buck Fever and made some funny jokes, but it's not other than the title track Buck Fever. There's nothing that really sounds like deer hunting or anything. I mean, the, no. it, it's a theme, but it's not like you eventually want to get to the point where you like know what you're writing about. You're not like, Oh, I'm going to name this song later and blah, blah, blah. It'll be fine. And like some people write like that. You don't have to know what it's about. It can just be music. But I got to the point where we, I felt like we lacked a narrative. So quadrupus, we were kind of, I'm, I'm glad that album turned out like decent. It's not, I, you know, known as our best record. We were kind of in disarray. We didn't have a drummer. 
John was on the verge of leaving. That was his last record with us. And we just were not, didn't have a rehearsal space. We didn't have a unified vision. So we had some cool tracks on that thing, but there's no one that sat down like this album's going to have this vibe. And here's how we're going to accomplish that. We were just kind of like, I have this song. I have this like zero cohesiveness. Um, it still turned out actually pretty good. There's like, I think, you know, Makopsis Yetanisa, the Greek song is one of the best That's tracks that we've first done. first track, right? Hardball. The, yeah, the, the Ethiopian song turned out great. Car, what is it? A car ride? An idealistic Ethiopia. Yeah, I, I fucking loved yeah. that song, dude. Yeah, that was a cool one. Um, so anyway, after John left, um, you know, John and I used to, I, I love John. John and I are actually like good friends now, but like we definitely used to butt heads. It was like the, the jam band, you know, he wanted the music, I think, to be a little bit more universal. And I was a little bit more like, let's make it crazy and abrasive kind of thing. Um, and, and we, you know, I think today if we sat down, which we have, he's come over recently and stuff. I think we actually see more eye to eye. We're both, we're like the only dads in the band and all this stuff. But anyway, when he left, it opened things up to, for, I'm not going to say like I took the reins and I was the leader, but to insert myself a little bit more. And we had a, um, do you guys know Chip? Chip. Our video guy, he lived in Santa Cruz forever. I don't know if you know him. Um, I think I've met, I met him. So Chip Bimata, yeah. He's like a half Asian dude. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you're allowed to say that at this day and age. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, like, he, he was, uh, yeah, sorry. I'll write a letter of apology. Um, <laughs> he was, um, he would do a lot of our earlier videos. Like so some of the videos you see online, we had a VHS tape back in the, these are the days that turned into a DVD, but he was like, this guy was always coming and filming videos. And he was kind of the missing link as far as like, what's this about? Let's tie this into a narrative. So we slowly like started coming up with this. We were reading a bunch of Philip K. Dick books, um, nice. Ballas in particular. And that's sort of where Palace of Mirrors came, came from is the story. There's a short story inside the Palace of Mirrors DVD and it lines out the whole narrative. So we, it was so nice to actually have a framework. Like here's the story. And I'm not going to lie and say like, oh, we knew the entire story. And then we wrote every note after it, but we were at least able to frame things in a certain um context um, as a narrative, which is not something we had ever done before. And then he would make visuals and you guys saw us on the Palace of Mirrors tour when we had mm -hmm. all the crazy oh, yeah. storyline visuals going. Yep, yeah. Yep, definitely. Like we really came together as far as like the, the DVD in my opinion is better than the record. Cause we were playing the tunes and playing them well. And Chip was using the storyline, black and white photographs and feeding them back on stage behind us. And we're wearing the same thing, you know, on the screen as we are on stage. And did you, you guys, could, did you guys start that tour in Santa Cruz and end it in Santa Cruz? I think so. I'm I, pretty th sure. I think I was at yeah. that, that first the, the attic the was show. the last show. The, the attic, attic was the last show. There. Well, a yeah. bunch of the DVD is from the attic. We just love. Fuck yeah. The, I was there. Fucking there too. Well, it sounded yeah. good. Um, but anyway, like we we really sort of came together on that tour and it became this thing that was like we would interact with and Chip Chip had the storyline down. Then on top of doing all of that live, setting up this commando set in these ghetto clubs we were playing with two screens and two projectors and running our own soundboard because we didn't want to have to deal with Bubba's soundboard. We just bypass it and go, you know, um, <laughs> And we were also recording the audio and recording video to capture each show so we could come back and figure out what are the best sure. ones and use those for a DVD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah dude. And it's yeah. a great fucking DVD. If it is my favorite product is of ours still like, by far. It, that, that was is so it still cool. available? I don't think so. That, so the end records got like 
consumed by some large like BMG thing. I don't even like we're we're, we're like the worst businessmen ever. Like in our band, like nobody. <laughs> Timbo would keep the books, but as far as like, I have no idea what like my rights are even related to that record right now. I have no really? clue. We do wow. get a little check for a couple hundred bucks every year um, from different sales. I don't even know where they come from because I think they still go to Timba, who's in France. And somehow they go to his dad and his dad like sends out a couple checks. And I, I've never been like real money oriented about it uh, to a fault. Like it should, should have been a little bit more. So um, we can talk about that a little bit at some point. Cause I think that's one of the reasons why yeah. it didn't last I, longer. I was going to ask you, I was yeah. going to ask you about this. Cause uh, I, I'll throw, I guess I'm, I'll throw a lead under the bus a little bit. Cause I live, hey. I, I lived with them while, you know, while all this was going on, I lived with them yeah. while he re- recorded palace of mirrors. I recorded or lived with them while he, you know, was doing that, that show at the attic and stuff like that. He was my roommate. So we, we yeah. hung out all the time. He, we played metal together. We, you know, he was like playing and trying to do odious and decrepit with us and do everything. And um, he was talking about that. DV- he's basically said, you know, what we can cut this out if you don't want it in, but like care. he said, he said the, the DVD kind of sunk you guys is what he said. Kind of like sunk, like uh, financially kind of it, like it was, it was, was a little bit of a wall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Lee, Lee was not, I have no regrets about that. The fact that that was sort of Astratosphere's, you know, final statement, awesome. um, you know, and it's a shame that it had to end there. It, it's not like it, it was, um, it had to be that way, but it just kind of worked out that way. We definitely, I mean, I, we, we probably lost a couple grand making that DVD. Okay. Um, it is not like we spent 20 grand or 30 grand. It may have been about 10 grand. Um, okay. But in my mind, you know, Lee, Lee is, you know, he's not a, the composer or the songwriter, the visionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least yeah. at that time, he wasn't um, really involved too involved much in the in creative yeah, yeah, aspect. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally, he's totally. New. He's wet behind the ears, a new drummer, yeah. metal kid that moved out and just kind of like fulfill the role of drums. And he did a great job. Like we we taught him a lot. He was willing to do it and yeah, he yeah. progressed. I mean, the, the way he was playing by the end of that tour with the sort of jazziness that we had brought out in him uh, yeah. was insanely good. Like you listen to that DVD and you're like, man, this guy can play. Fuck and yeah, it, it wasn't quite like that when he first came out. It was more dry and metal. And we used to we used to be on his butt. He would probably tell that's, you. We, that's we what a uh, like, okay, you're playing this beat. Yeah. Now mean it. Like we were about 30. He was what, 21 or something. Totally, totally. We were just trying to bring out more okay you you know the beat that's cool now play it and make it mean something and he's like what does that mean like, <laughs> yeah. like, okay do the snare right there like, when you hit the snare it's gotta like really pop like and then you do it and then we'd be rehearsing and it would kind of go back to what it was like no it's got to stay there yeah eventually he would get annoyed and we used to we do the same thing with adam who's our keyboard accordionist and same thing with him they're both uh, such good musicians and um and, you know, I think we taught them a lot. I think um, they taught us stuff as well, just about how to, you know, we weren't the best at like talking to people. We were probably pretty abrasive and could come off as jerks and all this kind of stuff. But now, I remember well, Lee talking hope- about like those, those, those practice sessions, you'd come home and just, you'd be like, dude, we practiced for 12 hours today. <laughs> like, that's right. Was, yeah. Lee, that's right. Like 12, like for, it was right before the recording yeah. of Palace and Mirrors. He was like, he was all, dude, we practice like fucking 12 hours. He had a little bit of the millennial uh, work ethic. I won't lie. We had to gear a little bit, but uh, I think in the end he did a great job. And especially yeah. on that DVD, as it went on, like he just sounded better and better. And speaking and really of which, I just found my copy. Oh, there it is. Things. Awesome. I was looking for it and I was like, shit, I think I got this around. So there it is, That's ladies true. and gentlemen. Dude, I don't know what is it online or something? Because like is. I don't even like, I've been uploading like almost every video from I've it been, on the YouTube. I've channel. been following, yeah, yeah. yeah I've been yeah. following you. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome, dude. 
Um, because I mean, nowadays, like even your fucking car doesn't have a CD player. Like my, yeah. I bought a four thousand dollar computer with no DVD drive. You know, it's like it's like becoming this thing that you just don't get anymore. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna oh. one up you right now. Oh, I got the first the day, motherfucker, man. dude. It, it originally, oh, was damn. Yes, um, and then it, we redid it on on DVD. But um, which one's yeah. that, Anthony? Wait, what's that, Anthony? That's the original. These, These are, the, are days. the days. Yep. You can oh, there's the first, there's footage oh, of them doing like uh band marches through Santa Cruz on here. Yeah. Oh yeah, there is. That's Crazy. awesome, man. Dude, yeah. that's totally cool. Wait, which one is so... that? These are the days. <laughs> I've got passion for life right here. Oh yeah, I got that shit. Dude, I got all of the stratosphere shit. Oh, dude. dude, awesome. I mean, yeah. I love that fucking to shit, sort of dude. put a, a T on that on that sort of conversation we were having, like to someone like Lee or maybe even band members, I, there were probably band members that looked at that endeavor and were like, man, we lost 10 grand or something. I yeah. look at that record and I'm not trying to brag or whatever to my own horn, but like, I look at that as the best product we have, like for our, our statement or whatever. The last thing we did was like, that is awesome. It has a story. It has abstract philosophical imagery. We played the music really well. Um, I mean, to lose, you know, 10 grand over that is really not a big deal, but, um, for sure, dude. And yeah, yeah. The satisfaction as an artist, I mean, you just touched on it earlier and it's something that we beat to death on this show is like, um, we're never satisfied. So to get that little bit of satisfaction from one thing that you did with that project, it's, it's worth it all. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to, to, to truth because palace of mirrors that that dvd that tour that album record it, it, yeah. all of it was just fucking so so top-notch to me dude i want does kind of have closure to, to it it does kind of have closure to it it does man it's it's yeah. almost sad there's certain things i hear on there and it's it's like i could I, I could have almost known while we were doing it there was this bittersweet aspect to it i think what it was if you take it to the beginning, when people first heard Hunger Strike and and it's understood, they really liked it. We had a hard time being embraced by like the bungle crowd because there's always like the comparison. So a lot of people were like, eh, I'm not sure. I think people heard a promise in us in our initial stuff that they thought, wow, this is going to be like something. And then when we came out with Buck Fever, as awesome as it was, I think some of those like bungle people were like, oh, this is overproduced and Meteorite Showers changes genres a lot and bungle does that. So there was a lot of people that... They, they actually, if they were on the fence about us, there were a lot of people that didn't like us, especially after Buck Fever. Um, whereas Palace of Mirrors to me was the promise that we initially hinted at that we could do. And so I felt like we accomplished that. Um, and, and a lot of it, you know, we wrote, Jason wrote great music. Timba and I wrote some awesome stuff. Kevin um, wrote some cool stuff for the record and Adam. Um but it was chip, man. I can't tell you how much having this filmmaker guy just hanging around. It's the kind of guy who barely ever had like a nine to five job or anything. He was always just there on the couch, like pontificating as Timbo would say about like, what does this mean? And what does this mean? And um, sometimes it would get to be too much, but he was always kind of keeping us thinking in that direction and, and having someone that's not a musician that can contextualize yeah. it philosophically. Um, I, I think that is so important. And I've gotten, I feel like, a lot of chip is rubbed off on me. Like when I'm thinking of like the high castle stuff I'm doing now, like everything I've learned from him, I'm kind of applying to what I'm doing now. So is there a, a, like a certain song or something that you could really like, you could really put back on chip. Like when the band was sitting there working on something and chip sat there with a thought, you know, just like kind of like had everyone thinking and you're like, Oh, let's, 
let's change this around and go like this, man. He was there so much. And we were probably more resistant about like getting too much into like him changing, you know, musical form. He would suggest whatever. He's the guy, the guy would suggest whatever, see what sticks to the wall. Um, I can't think of anything particular, but he had such a huge footprint on that thing, especially the DVD, but even the album, but um, it all kind of blurs together um, as far as that stuff goes. So I can't think of a song where it's like, Oh, chip changed the arrangement of it or something. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I mean, it's up to you guys to change the arrangement. I was thinking like, something that like he changed Spark like, an, idea brain, make, like yeah. an idea that like changed it was really how to how to sequence all those songs and have them mean something i don't know if any of you have you guys like read the short story in the dvd and then watch the dvd because if you just watch it you would think okay there's some images it's you can't really understand the story except some basic stuff because it's so abstract but what we were doing was allowing the music to just talk uh, where you don't need to, there's no burden like a movie where, you, oh, what's happening? What's the plot? But, and so you might think it's random. You might just think like, if you just watched it, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. Some cool images and video feedback and stuff. But you read that short story and then watch the movie and and the narrative just absolutely jumps off the page. Of, of I'm going to, I'm going to do there. that now. Cause it's I, gotta, I, yeah, I, give, I, let me know I, what your thoughts are, man. But it, it is um, chip wrote most of that short story. I helped him write it. And then we sent it to two different, really good, like, editor type of English people and had them both, you know, um, revise it. And then we took the best of their work. So it was really this sort of collaborative effort, um, very sort of Philip K. Dick short story, but there's a, a narrative. You, you will watch that. You will be blown away at the, how we actually were able to convey all of those things on stage. Hell yeah. Um, and the, the average, viewer would would never know well i love learning that like philip k dick was an influence to you guys because that's something i didn't know still continues to this day hell yeah dude so did you write so was the album done and then you wrote the story after was it was it kind of some of each it was some of each i like i said i'm not i'm not gonna lie and say we we knew the whole story then we started yeah yeah exactly let it strike me this is the motorcycle (laughs) chase where they end up in the um but we were I think the subconscious knows a lot of times what's going on. And it's just a question of us to just like drop what we're doing. Like I even do that with recording all the time. Like I'll be sitting here, I'm next to my furnace. So, you know, I've recorded high castle stuff where it's this crazy, like underwater organ section, but I'm also hearing from my furnace. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. Microphone over here. Like there it is. I, I just, I tend to go with what pops up, That's like if, up, if it sounds yeah. good, but I, I think it's the same thing when you're coming up with a storyline. I think you can write stuff and then uncover a narrative. You don't, you might not be that brilliant to, to, to know it all in forethought. Totally. Um, exactly. It's actually probably the way that most things come together. Yeah. The, 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 the knowing before you do anything is probably more rare. Yeah. yeah. There, there are people like that, but um, you know, like, I think Trey, you know, his stuff with the secret chiefs, he's super knows the philosoph- philosophy behind it. Um, stuff like that. But um, it, it's Which so another, but that'd be another band that I would compare you to more than Bungle as well. Right. Cause they do more of that, you know, quote unquote world music sound thing, mm-hmm. um, which Bungle doesn't do much of except for like what or Ars Moriendi and Technoala. But ever, other than that, they're just more this unclassifiable genre. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. So okay, so the stratosphere dissolves. Unfortunately, broke my heart. Um, <laughs> Do you have any sweatshirts, by the way? Do you have any stratosphere sweatshirts? Oh, yeah. almost, <laughs> I've been looking for one. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're at now. 
My daughter, won, I, I, my daughter won the state tournament last year. Dude, oh, that's actually yeah. what awesome. I wanted to bring up too, yeah. is that, that one of the reasons why it was kind of hard to get you before was your daughter's super into dude, softball, yeah. dude. And she was tearing it up, up, dude. I, I never had any idea that there's this whole lifestyle of people that on the weekends you go somewhere and stay there for like 12 hours and watch them play like four games, have to bring all your own food and drinks and, and, and cart things one, one field to the other and wagons and, and you will come, you know, at the end and you were just burnt. Like you wouldn't even believe it. It's a hundred degrees outside and they play. But it's your daughter out there playing. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's all fun. worth and it. Dude. And when it's off season, you're like, man, what am I going to do this week? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you find, so you found some sort of beauty in that going. Oh, and I love your, it. I yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's That's like, awesome. you always have like the Rockies in the background here in Denver. You just see, I don't know. It's just a cool little vibe and you go somewhere and you're just going to be there. You're just like, I'm here. And. The other dads are all into it and you're always talking crap. Like, why isn't he starting this girl? She did so much better. Like you're just totally like, I got to say enough to get you kicked off the team, but you can't help but be a totally. little backseat coach of like, how can he be bunting right now? You know? Yeah, exactly. You need five runs and you're bunting. You're not going to get five runs from bunting. Um, <laughs> totally dude. I so, can't wait. I can't wait until I have that too. I want to hop in here. So as someone who never got to see a stratosphere, uh, I'm, you know, super bummed about that, but that, kind of motivates my question which is like so you did the palace of mirrors tour and was that the last tour okay um pretty much so um yeah. i think i'm going to answer something i was going to and tie it all into your question there so like why okay. did we dissolve i think that was what was about to start to come up on the last question and i can tie it into this so as i was mentioning earlier we didn't have anyone in the band that was like we got to promote ourselves we got to do like like we were kind of like kind of like i said i grew up in an affluent background like my parents weren't supporting me through my 20s we weren't making a living from a stratosphere we were doing other things i was a caregiver um i would work do you guys know jesse houts I worked for him for about two years. Yeah, I worked yeah, for five, that was my job. I would do one 40 hour shift a week from Thursday yeah, yeah. Um, at midnight to you know Saturday morning. That's and awesome. that was my entire work week. So I had six days to record with the Stratosphere up in our Chaney, farmhouse. Chaney, our friend Chaney works for him right now too. Nice, yeah, dude, that, yeah, still, he's still, he basically just hires musicians and people that he like wants awesome. to hang around with. Yeah, he's super yeah. awesome. Great Anyways, memories. But, uh, so there, we didn't have anyone in the group that was thinking about a career. It was really dumb. Like, like you, you people like Zorn, man, they know every grant, every little thing that you need to be doing. You, you know, it's, it sucks that you always need to sell yourself now. Um, but we weren't thinking like that at all. Like, shouldn't we be like standing at every show and gathering email addresses, like at the front door, like, like whatever <laughs> we could, if we're only playing for 150 people a night, we need to do whatever we can and we just didn't have that. We were all just into the art and whatever. And we're just totally freaking blind that like, we're not creating a career for ourselves here and we're not close, like not even close to close. Um, and it's not because there's not an audience. Like I, I think a band like a stratosphere could potentially make a living. Like if Zappa could sell millions of records, like, probably possible that the stratosphere could but you would need to be firing on all cylinders as far as pr as far as us getting gigs at like university you know conservatories where we pare it down and don't play so much heavy stuff but we show them that you know like we were talking about that like we need to be able to like repackage ourselves a little bit so that we could get on some different you know the world music scenes probably weren't going to have death metal honestly i mean it sucks nope, to say no money in that shit bro but we could do stuff we used to play as a trio where it was like stand-up bass and violin and acoustic guitar and do some cool stuff we went to europe and actually played like that but anyway we'd after palace of mirrors we did have an idea that like 
we need to do something here. Like, what are we going to do? And I remember Timbo would like take a survey of like people he knew. Timbo was very methodical about everything. Well, I've surveyed all these musicians in New York and Seattle. <laughs> I got there. So we had to get out of the Santa Cruz bubble because we felt it was really small. Right. But we were comfortable there. We knew our life there. It was easy. Great. Beautiful. Every day is the same. Um, so, so eventually we decided to move to Seattle. We knew a bunch of people up there. They liked the scene. Um, and we moved into this warehouse. So we moved the whole operation up. Lee came up with us. Everyone came up with us. And we were living in this freaking warehouse with all these like paint fumes coming in from the paint shop next door. We could have shows there. We could record there. But we were actually, most of us were actually living in this freaking dingy warehouse. Talk about like, you know, bad things. You know, it, it was it was cool because like <laughs> we could, we had shows there. We had multiple recording studios. Jason and I were both functioning. We were playing with like Amanda Palmer, the singer from the Dresden Dolls was coming and using us and she's huge. So she had a show and was like instantly sold out, you know, like whatever. We could fit like a hundred people you know, as long as the fire marshal didn't find out. But um, anyway, we, we, we got, we, it's like we were thrust into the real world. We were out of our Santa Cruz bubble and all of a sudden we needed to pay for this $2,500 warehouse. So we're recording bands like $250 a day and it was cool and it was fun, but you're just like, I didn't have a job other than that. And I, I definitely think I got some help from my parents at some point during that because we had this huge amount of overhead that I can't move out of this warehouse no matter, like, no matter what, even if I'm doing well, I'm going to be stuck here. Um, trapped. Yeah. My wife who she had come out there to live with us and she's from Montreal. So she was, um, we had actually just gotten married um, kind of because she was there for six months and we were like, Hey, we don't want you to go back. We're like, okay, let's just get married. Like we didn't even know what we were doing, but anyway, so we were there for about a year and then she got pregnant and I was never planning on that. It was always like, Oh no, kids will ruin my music career. Don't want kids. Never want. That's like the real popular thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone now is atheist and doesn't want kids. That's just the way it is. Um, <laughs> it's cheaper. So I just decided, you know, like, I'm just going to go with it. That's what the universe dealt me and I'm going to go with it. But at the same time, it was like, what are we going to do? We didn't have health insurance at the time. So we decided to go back to Montreal and have the baby. That's what I was going to ask you. I remember you yeah. going to Canada. This is what yeah. I thought. I thought you were in Canada right now. No. So I went there for a year. We had the baby. And then I was like, okay, I don't really want to learn French. And what am I going to do? I was really in a, like a kind of an existential crisis. Like, what am I going to do? Like, um, so we moved back in with my parents in LA and, and just kind of like to do something stable. Like I went to nursing school. I was like, okay, well, my dad's a doctor. My mom used to be a nurse, whatever. And so I went to nursing school and that's what I do now. So three, three days a week and that graveyard shift, I work in the ER as a nurse for, for 12 hours and then I have four days off. So it's a pretty good work Damn. schedule because I have more days off than I have on. Uh, it's kind of intense because it, you know, four twelves are definitely like, and then shifting the sleep schedule and stuff. But like compared to like nine to five Monday through, like I, I could never do that. Like and childcare and stuff like that. Like that's, yeah, yeah. you're saving a lot of money. Yeah. So anyway, I ended up loving being a dad. I went with it and, and to me, it changed me in a good way that it, it took the focus off myself. I think I kind of am of the opinion now that if you don't have kids, you're sort of inherently selfish, not, not as, not as selfish, like, no, this is mine and I won't share it, but your focus is yourself. It's like, what am yeah. I going to do today? And oh, I want to do this. And I want to do like, it's true. It's it. That's your focus. And, and, and yeah. then once you have that, you're just completely relieved of that idea. You're just like, uh, yeah, I get put at the, I'm at the bottom of the list in my dome, dude. I literally yeah. look at myself the last Anthony yeah. has like 17 kids. So it's like, 
It's only all, 17, all the, claim, the claims that keep coming in from different corners of the world. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, I definitely, I definitely, uh, that, that mindset, I definitely, that makes sense to me because what, I mean, what else is there? I mean, it's, it's yourself living in this meat sack and you're trying to figure things out and you're trying to be like, Oh, I need to pay my, you know, I'm, I'm like living in a nice place. Have a, have to keep working, blah, blah. I got to keep it going. But what can I do for eat. me? Me, me, me. It's like, oh, I can order a door going dash on with now. my romantic like, life. What's going on? Yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. I can watch whatever movie I want to watch at yeah, whatever I could time sleep, I want to I could, watch it. I could sleep in the kitchen if I need, if I need to sleep in the kitchen. I, I get, no, not that I'm going to do that, but I could do <laughs> I could go sleep in the kitchen right now, dude. It's very selfish. They're upstairs, dude. It doesn't matter. They won't know. Yeah. So that yeah. whole thing kind of was, it was a good thing for me, but it was a, a sudden end to a stratosphere. And I don't think that was the only thing that was making it end. I think we had sort of run our course in a lot of ways, like just the way we collaborated and, and things like that. Um, when was the, about, uh, when was the sleepy time gorilla museum tour? Was that after the palace of mirrors tour? Did a stratosphere tour with sleep? I think. I yeah. I saw you guys at great. America. Chiefs played. Oh, oh yeah. Secret that Chiefs. wasn't a tour. No, we played that show, but we oh, never okay. toured. You weren't on that tour. Secret you just Chiefs. opened up that. And Jason and Timbo were on that tour with the chiefs. I think mm -hmm. playing with, um, Sleepy time. And then you guys play, but no, you, a Stratosphere did play Great American Music we Hall. We did when play they came. a show with them, yes. With them. Maybe so that was the that was the great. one show on that tour I, that you guys did? I don't think that was actually on that tour. I think that was... Um, Just a one-off? A one-off, because we still lived in Santa Cruz at that time. And, and Sleepy Time was in Oakland. So yeah, it's like, so it was just a yeah. Yeah, local local show. That, yeah, that that was a crazy night for yeah, me, dude. dude. I took yeah. my, my wife who at that time was uh, my girlfriend. Lee got us on this list nice uh, that was probably the first time i you probably don't remember it but it was the first time i probably shook your hand yeah. said hi my name is anthony blah 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 yeah cool backstage. man but dude that sleepy time set was fucking crazy dude yeah it's like a two hour kinda... it's a two hour set with an intermission that has they do a play there's a play like a 20 minute play yeah in between two sets that they do those guys are rugged man i mean everything about they like run their own bus and fix it in the middle of nowhere when it's like like so far beyond anything we could have done as a stratosphere i remember our van caught fire in nebraska once and we were just like oh we just all got out and i don't know how we even put out the fire because we did and the transmission was on we got it towed in whatever but we, we couldn't fix anything and th those guys just sort of lived it it was well yeah dude i mean one of the guys in, in the band warehouses dingy I, I don't i don't know for sure but i'm guessing they lived in dingy warehouse it, situations it, 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 in Oakland. it would fit perfect it would fit fucking perfect because one of the no guys shower. literally plays found <laughs> he plays he plays found mm -hmm. items as yeah. percussion he goes yeah. to junkyards yeah. and finds things to beat on as part of the songs that they play yeah i've but seen slipknot dude I've, i mean i'm just kidding dude <laughs> No, it ain't no cake. It's kidding, a fucking flip. It's like a kitchen sink, a fucking, you know, well, actually the saw blades kind of fucking death metal drummers have had the saw blade as a symbol. So that it's is still like, dink, dink. doesn't even sound very good. Probably. <laughs> it sound good. <laughs> it sure it looks, looks cool, cool. though. It looks <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome. I actually uh, just saw, um, I mean, I don't know how um, in touch with Timbo you are, but I randomly, yeah. before this, po this podcast, I randomly was like, because I forgot about like Timbo, because I've been to his house multiple times and yeah. stuff and like, these nice little cool wine parties and stuff. He was very classy. Yeah. Always and, down um, with odious. Every time I talked to him, I was oh, like, yeah, he was yeah, super dude. cool. He was, he was one of the cooler guys. And, um, yeah, super. Cool. So I randomly typed him into YouTube just on fucking like Tuesday. I just typed him in 
And um, he did, he was that band Igor. I don't know if you've heard that band Igor, but he randomly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he randomly like was there recording with the the guy that writes all the Igor stuff and like two other projects that he does. Wow. And then I guess I guess he just knocked out of the park. Boom, quick. And then he's all, you want to come do some Igor stuff? And it was like watching him like in the studio. There's a documentary. It just came out. I wow. think it just came out, but I just watched it. And it's a, a good like seven to ten minute like a little Timba spot. And he, uh, he, in the years ensuing years since the stratosphere disbanded, like he's really come into his own as like a string writer. Like you, you wouldn't like, I'm not trying to like downplay his role in the stratosphere, but like half of it was like him going from like a classical musician and they could just play their part to learning how to branch out. But that branching out extended, like he writes. So he's in my new band, high castle Tello. Oh yeah. Yep. But he's in France. We don't communicate face to face, but he'll write these string parts. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like what on earth? He, he finally put it all together. Like all of these skills that he had and became this really incredible. Cause I, I don't know if you guys have ever written for strings, but like, your tendency is to just be like here, write a bunch of chords and stuff, but it's really boring when they're all playing at the same time. It's so much better if it's sort of contrapuntal and maybe you're using different articulations to bring out different harmonics and the dynamics and all of those sort of things you can put into classical. And then also how do they translate as a recorder or in recordings? Like he does stuff where he'll take, you know, maybe he'll have three violins and then he'll he'll go around one mic and be first chair violin guy who's got a, like a bunch of hubris and thinks he's so awesome. Then there's the second guy who's like a little bit more laid back and not going to have so much vibe. So he has a little character and a different mic position like you would have in a section um, and actually gets different tones just by having this different character. Um, and I do the same thing when I do like background vocals like if i'm doing doubles of things i don't do two of all like the same timbre one's going to be yeah. you know thin one's going to be full the i might go one fist two fist three fist back from the microphone to get so you don't get a buildup of the same frequencies totally so building off that that um it's a say doo-wop album that you put out it's uh the kind uh, of that's a, a girl yeah, she's a girl, and so yeah. that's kind of like a Beach Boys influence, kind of like yeah, Beach so Boys meets doo where, where did you get that influence? It seems like you just got a bug, right? You just got a bug so, or something, and then you so kind of like I was saying before that a lot of the you know prog you know music musician guys that like our band and like Bungle, the thing they take away more than other things was the 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 fat you play fast and you play a lot of notes and cool chords and things like that, but um, bands like you know, us and, and Bungle, like how many people were surprised to find out that, you know, the Beach Boys are a super huge influence on Mr. Bungle. Most most people don't know that the Beach Boys are one of the most advanced groups that there has ever been on the face of the planet. Their harmonies, their, their counterpoint, and it's it's not really their surf and car songs, but they're lesser known, you know, Beach uh, Pet Sounds and the Pet Smile Pet album. Pet Sounds, dude. Yeah, and 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 I think a lot of hipsters still struggle with that. Like, oh, the Beach Boys. There's just this thing because American radio hammered them and, and just plays fun, yeah. fun, fun, and I get around and and the and boardwalk. They, oh, that's not the boardwalk's yeah. not. No, there. the boardwalk okay. is the. Um, <laughs> so I fucked that up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> every time I'm at the boardwalk, <laughs> Beach Boys. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah. God only knows is a good dude, one. Dude, the, the chord yeah. progressions on that. I mean, it just doesn't get better than that. You can't get a sweeter melody and whatever. So there's a, pr a, a progressiveness of music. That's like how fast you're playing and how crazy the chord is and how crazy the rhythms are. There's a whole nother form of progressiveness. That's subtle. That would just be like, 
these chord changes that you can do that you don't even notice. It just sounds so nice. Like God only knows if I were to sit here and be like, Oh, the verse is D with a in the bass, B minor six, F sharp minor seven to E flat half diminished over a E with a B in the bass, C diminished E with a B in the bass, B flat half diminished, which leads to the one, which is a. So instead of going five, one E seven, a it approaches one from a half step above and does half diminished. Like you would never get that just by listening because all you'd be like, is that sounds really nice. That's all you could derive you're not the the prog part is not is not um apparent but if you were to sit there and analyze it or you analyze the production you've probably seen some stuff of how he was recording with a whole orchestra in the room and there's the timpanis over here the b3 organs here the string sections here the horn sections here there's four bassists over here there's a bass harmonica player that was the pet sound sessions was and they'd call up the union and be like we need a bass harmonica, three French horns, two accordions, <laughs> timpani, uh, percussion, uh, blah, blah, blah. And that's what he had at his behest back before digital and back before you could fake anything. There were just super awesome musicians you could call and would come and play on your record. And and that that, that heyday of the recording era of the 60s, 60s and 70s, I mean, there, there's no better musicians that walked into a studio and they would impart this feel. If you listen to the backing tracks, if you ever listen to the pet sounds without the vocals, like on the box set, you can no, listen on YouTube. Just say like, um, listen to Wouldn't It Be Nice. People think, oh, it's just a little Beach Boys song. You're like the main freaking instrument in Wouldn't It Be Nice is two accordions pretending like they're a little rock guitar going dun, 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 dun. But it's two accordions through all this reverb. And, and when the vocals are in, it just blends in and you don't even really notice it. Um, sure, but, but he had yeah. this way of putting combinations of, of instruments together that wouldn't, like I said, be real apparent that this is so innovative or so blah, blah, blah. But that's what it's known as like now. I mean, Pet Sounds is in almost any record critics top five list of, of records i feel um, so much cooler now that i listen to that shit all the time as a kid dude, like, <laughs> yeah, dude i was being prog when it's you usually not know, cool dude. to beach boys are, yeah I, i've taken a lot of shit but it's like i wear so i never you know long story short I, I had ability to put small amounts of my beach boys influence in a stratosphere there's some stuff in meteorite showers where the and then i think the last song on quadrupus um almost sounds like a pet sounds ballad um but other than that that's about all i was able to interject and even when I did, like even that last song on Quadrupus, it almost seems like, like, why isn't that just an ISS song? It probably just should have been on my, on, you know, my other record. We, we didn't really know what we were doing philosophically at that point. So everyone was just saying, here's a song, here's a song. Double saying you guys are playing with some yeah. harmonies. And I didn't produce that. So that's mostly John and Jason that went okay. down to this producer that Jason knows in Los Angeles named Andrew Kapner. But if you listen to like, I produced most of Astratosphere's music. Jason was producing some of it by Palace of Mirrors, um, like his own tunes. He was kind of producing the debutante and the title track. And I think I had most of the rest of them on my computer. So I produced like the overwhelming majority. I always had help. Timbo was always in my ear, but for some reason, like because of my technical, you know, skills, you know, in the computer, like I was considered the producer and I'm credited as that, but Dubway, if you listen really close, it should be really obvious. Like this is not Tim. Like Tim is not okay. a drum and bass guy like, in any way, shape or form, even organically. Like, I don't know. That guy was really good at doing all that kind of cut up stuff. And that's just not right. my thing. Would you all. consider, okay. So going on the record, would you consider beach boys as the first prog rock band? 
Probably. Yeah, honestly. And it was, it was, it's, it's not because there's a bunch of time signatures though. It's for other reasons. It's for yeah, it's hidden, so, hidden reasons. Or, okay. Yeah. So if we all vote, let's play a game here. So if we all vote <laughs> Beatles versus, versus beach boys, like, you know, mm. you had to like, I've never, yeah, I've never been a big Beatles a, guy, but a tough one. See the Beatles. It's, it, it's I'm really easy to be guy. sick of them because we've heard them all so totally. much. For like, how could you write so many catchy songs? Like, yeah. Like, 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 sit down and try. Like, like, you might be sick of "I Want to Hold Your Hand" and "Hard Day's Night" and "Hey Jude." I don't even like "Hey Jude," but um, yesterday, right? you can <laughs> go like, on, you can talk for thirty minutes and say a song that we all know. There no, will never be another for, for band me. With, that for, for me, with the Beatles, like the Beatles, like I, I just think revolutionized music, and I think it was a total like fucking hit to the scene and stuff. It's just like yeah. my ears just don't like to listen to it. It's, I mean, just but so I'm also yeah. I'm I'm also like I'm also like, I got I got to like. Got oh. to sit back at b- being born at 1984 and being like, oh, all this other stuff, and then have to go back to the Beatles. And yeah, you know, just, just when I was, you know, it's like nowadays with bands and stuff like that, and kids and bands or kids and whatever skateboarding now. They're like, yeah, they start at the absolute top and then they only you know, go from there. And like, usually I, the reverse, the reverse engineering for me only went like to like yes and and, so and rush and stuff like I, that. But like, you know. I always like loved the Beatles because like 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 a song like like a day in the life like it's kind oh of a God. dark song so you know really good and like song. that that melody that song always got me like oh it's man that song, song is so sick and like for me like I grew up in sunny San Diego and I heard the Beach Boys like all day long oh, every day and so yeah. like for me I was like no like no yeah. more like oh no, Santa Cruz it, dude you know, come on it's like <laughs> it's just like dude it's like you walk everywhere and you know, oh were you so, hearing yeah. like the cur- the surf and car song well, of course or, or, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and then I and then I took this class in college like th- like this teacher had had this like avant-garde radio station like he actually shout out to uh, uh I think it's uh Dean Suzuki yeah he, he teaches oh, wow. at San Francisco State and he has like a like a radio station but he like really taught us about the Beach Boys and like wow. all that like that's like, so cool you know I, I don't find myself stuff. listening to the Beatles a lot but like let's break down like the thing obviously like as far as writing I think um Billy Corgan once said I'm not a huge Billy Corgan fan but but he said something to the fact of like every single part of their songs sounds like the chorus like what other band could you say that about? Like they're on the verse and it's like the thing you're singing along to. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's uncanny, but then you take their, um, you know, they were lucky. So Brian Wilson was, so the Beatles did have two legit brilliant songwriters. Harrison was even a pretty good songwriter, but they had their own producer. So they didn't have to think about that stuff. George Martin. Yeah. Um, right. Brian Wilson was doing all of those things. Yeah, it was kind of like Icarus. Things. It was just like right. flying too close to the sun and it, he just couldn't keep it up. Um, I kind of feel like, like, on a, a lot of those songs, like with the Beatles and the Beach Boys, the verses are actually more interesting than the choruses. Sure. Like yeah. e- even on like, you know, good vibrations. Like, oh, yeah. Like, as an example, like the yeah. the verses are like really sick. And then then like the chorus is like, you know, like like a catchy like, you know, dun, 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 see, but 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 look at the verses. chords. It keeps modulating up a half yeah. step to the theremin. It's got a cello oh, so doing good. triplets yeah. going. Yeah. So so if the rhythms do the cello's going. It's just like for sure, for sure. Like, yeah, but yeah, it has the illusion that it's just this little bop bop surfy thing, but it's actually not. But but the verses are like it's like this whole like like it's so interesting like the verses, you know. Yeah. Same with the Beatles. Like it might be like some kind of catchy chorus, but like the verses are really like interesting, but like and more minor or like more. The thing I think we could all look back on of the Beatles is single out songs like. 
Eleanor Rigby? Like how innovative oh, is it to have a string quartet yeah. and a lead voice? There's no drums, there's no guitar, there's no anything. That yeah. is freaking awesome. Like, like you just cannot yeah. deny that that totally. is a freaking killer pop song. Um, oh yeah. And, and that For the sure. idea yeah. to do a string quartet with great writing, I think George Martin was also a, a, the string writer. So the Beatles could kind of yeah. just come in with their little tune and then this guy's going to figure it all out. And, and they, they were lucky that they had all of those resources right. and Brian didn't, and he was fighting against, you know, the rest of the group that would be touring, he would, they would yeah, go out to yeah. tour. He was too scared to tour after a little while. Cause he was just had anxiety and he would just stay at home with those studio musicians and they'd come back and, you know, mm -hmm. psychedelic drugs were kicking in and they were not on the same trip at all. But he was like, here's the new record. You guys got to sing over it. You know, <laughs> now that we're all talking about this right now, I'm noticing the, uh, the Beatles bass hovering over your lip. Oh your yeah, it's a little knockoff. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I love those little picked um, tones with a really thin kind of sound. Totally. Um, a lot yeah. of what I record now is I do a pet sounds inspired, like on all the high castle stuff. I think I do four bases on everything. Stand up, got a wow. P bass, wow. a little aqua fifties reissue that one. And sometimes I'll do either a baritone guitar or a guitar that's muted, like as a surf rock kind of tone. And it gives that high end to it. Totally. And then I'll go and I'll see if it's a tight song, I'll go and actually line some of them up a little bit in the computer to make them tighter. Or if it's a slow song, I'll allow those flams to kind of naturally exist. Definitely. Um, so did you, so like when you got into the Beach Boys doo-wop thing, did you just like, you're like, I'm into this, I'm going to start like working on my vocals or were you working on that before? Well, like, ISS, I did a record in like 2003 that came out on Trace Level and Mimicry. So this had been going on like oh, on the side okay. for a long time. Okay. I had written another record that I never got a chance to record. And then I became a dad. And then I just realized in 2018 that it had been like 10 years since I did anything. And I'm like, I could actually do this. The kids are at school. They're a little older now. Um, I work three days a week. So I finally realized I'm, I mean, I'm in my basement right now. So they, the kids and my wife sleep not on the floor, but where it's a three story because it's a finished basement. So I could blast at all hours of the night here. So I'd finally just, I'm like, Hey, let me just finish this thing. And, and it was weird taking 10 years off and like getting back in and like seeing what the plugins were like and all this kind of stuff. And like, I have all these tools now that I didn't have of like, Oh, I want this sound to go through like a consumer you know, cassette tip. You know, I'm all, I'm all into like degrading sounds and making them sound older and not, yeah. it's not really, it's a weird combination of lo-fi of specific elements. Like if I was recording a keyboard, like digitally off of my keyboard, I'm going to freaking trash that thing somehow. I want it to sound like something <laughs> just went wrong, but it's like the drums, I'm probably not going to make them sound like they yeah, suck. Yeah. So, so I, I pick certain elements and I treat them so that the aesthetic sounds, you know, more desirable to me. Um, oh, yeah. but that record, I was really going for like, yeah, fifties, sixties type of sound. Um, Dude, and good vibrations is just won't get out of my fucking head. Yeah. That you guys brought it up. <laughs> I know I have to use the restroom right now. I'm, like, I'm probably going to be ah, fucking whistling it. <laughs> the colorful clothes you, wear. Yeah. you know how, I mean, did you ever hear all the sessions it, for that? Anthony, he recorded like hours and hours of music for that. Just is there like a doc? There's, I mean, there's that one documentary on, there's like multiple documentaries on these ways, but, um, what would be the one that you would recommend? Because actually, would just, be down I'm to a huge fan of the Smile era, and don't even get me started because we'll go so far off topic on a tangent. Um, <laughs> yeah, the like album the that didn't come out in '67 that he lost his mind making. He didn't have the support of the group, and was really psychedelic, spiritual, philosophical. It was more like a rock symphony, um, and he just got about 90 percent of the way there, and then just the, the pressure just was too much for him. But it what did a trip. come out. It did come out, so I would 
I like uh, Smile. I think it's called Beautiful Dreamer, um, which is the doc, which is the documentary associated with the Smile DVD that came out. Like the so, there's no B sides or anything you can hear from that. No Smile. It came out. They released. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And and the thing is, we don't know what the original sequencing would have been. They, there's people that have approximated what it may have been. And so there's a whole, if you look it up, like there's, there's, there's a whole cult of people that are putting together their own remixes of, of smile sequencing based on the existing fragments. But even from what exists, uh, I can tell you it, they are the greatest recordings that have ever happened. Like in, in damn. Okay. Well, music history. well, now I have to do it now. Like, that's like, mm-hmm. almost sounds like, um, from what I've like just kind of briefly read and seen like, you know, little clips of it's like, it's basically like he's like Sid Barrett before Sid Barrett kind of. It, 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 no, he's kind of like Mozart of pop music. Like like okay. he's not on any kind of level that's um that that's something you could do in like pop or um, rock because it's just more sophisticated what he was doing. And he was just so innocent. He was just such an innocent person. If you listen to the tapes of him talking, he always just had this like vibe that he wanted to like put love and he was probably trying to compensate for his bad upbringing or whatever, but like I'm doing a deep fucking dive on Dude, smile. I know. The original 60s. I can send you guys my own sequences of it. Uh, just just hit me up an email and, and boom. That'll I'm be so it. down. <laughs> but, no, no, now, anyway, now the, the, those it. are those recordings were I you the idea of a philosophical kind of tying it to Palace of Mirrors and I'm not even saying Palace is as good as Smile, but um that it's it's like these three movements that he has that would have been on there and they the themes tie together it's all about american history it's about manifest destiny um it's about uh, the lyrics or he got a beat poet to write the lyrics so he has this little theme that's um like a bicycle rider and it's this weird eerie harpsichord playing with a tack piano it sounds crazy and the way that they're saying manifest destiny or the or the white you know the the settlers arriving to plymouth rock it says rock rock roll Plymouth Rock roll over. And if you can imagine Plymouth Rock rolling over west and like, you know, toppling the Indian civilizations and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's this little bicycle rider theme going on and the lyric just says, "Bicycle rider, just see what you've done to the church of the American Indian." And you're like, mm, "Fuck, dude. damn." Like, like, like it damn. was the lyrics were were poetry cuz he he didn't write them, he had someone else do them. The music was actually depicting what he was talking about. So if, if this song is about the Chinese slave laborers building the transcontinental railroad, you hear little like spikes and a, a banjo for the being the on the prairie and all this. It's actually what they call it pictorial music. They do it in orchestral music sometimes where they're trying to sort of, you know, create a picture of what's Make actually visual, going on. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, so dude. it's what I would call pictorial music at its panoramic best is, is I think the, the best phrase yeah. I've heard somebody wow. say. Yeah. Holy but anyway, shit. man. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Dude. I'm, I'm Dave, my, Dave, my drummer, uh, the drummer from Stratosphere is like, oh man, you're going on that metal blog. Don't get too into the doo-wop stuff. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> I, had that, dude. I had that you fucking planned. I had that planned. But uh, wait, so what do you think wait, about Dave said Dave <laughs> yeah, knew about this. Exactly, yeah. yeah, I guess he he commented on um I yeah, think in the that. fans of a stratosphere group. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh shit, dude. Cool. Like, dude, just stick to the you know, like Nah, dude. Don't I love stick it. to I anything. You fucking yeah, was, talk you, we want to know what your passions so, are, dude. Yeah. But like yeah. this is the Tim Smallen three hours. Are you influenced <laughs> by like so some of the like early 90s stuff at all like death or cynic or anything because i kind of hear See, I, at that it. time i wasn't ever into it like yeah. like got into it in retrospects like the, everything i went through is like the guns and roses and then some of the nirvana stuff and then bungle was kind of my next step 
So wow. Bungle played some metal, but I never had a period where I'm like all into metal. And like, I've definitely listened to some of that stuff because of Dave and we've been touring in vans and things like that. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've always been a little bit more of a, on the, on the beach boys side of things, as far as like wanting to be pleasant. And, and that's why I can, I can sort of tolerate what we do with the stratosphere or, or even what I'm doing with high castle, which is very similar with like the way we use metal as a, a dynamic. Um, but I, but I really never was like, like, yeah, I, I couldn't, I'm not like your class. Like Dave's like a, a an encyclopedia of that stuff is like, which, you know, this classic album. And I mean, that's fine, dude. Yeah. But in all reality, the reason why you're on this show right now is because we're legit fans and we've been legit yeah, I can fans tell, man. for you. fucking Appreciate a that. long time, dude. I mean, I remember being down at the ODS house in like 2000, what was it? 2005 2006 when palace came out yeah it's a shame we didn't hang more in those days man i, Fuck, was, I, was dude, I know we would we, regrets, i, I would have loved that but we would always be jamming that fucking record dude that yeah. record was on constantly and yeah. it was constantly in private for me too yeah so and and so i'm the next generation i'm like 31 now so i remember being 16 in 2006 there. and i maybe even just before palace i'm not sure but around that time my friend like burned me. He gave me like burned copies of like the Stratosphere discography that he had. And he had probably just How like downloaded you? them all Sorry. off fucking LimeWire or whatever. But there was also like bootleg stuff. There was live yeah, stuff. Yeah. I, I don't even know what live. I, I think I have it on my iPod. My old we were school. like in that little jam band. See, I'm telling you, yeah. we had like a little thing where people were making tapes and we had tape official tapers and they were on all the jam based things. And, yeah. Yeah. And I still think some of that live stuff, I like have it on my iPod still. I listen to it. I'm like, this is a lot of this is like as good as, or even better than some of the studio some stuff. The, yeah. There's some decent stuff. It did get a little wanky at times. Kind yeah. Of finding that balance of the precision versus the, there were mm-hmm. some shows where we would like, we would kind of start playing a song, but we would like just be willing to go in a different direction with the song, which is really hard for our kind of music. Cause it's very calculated. It's like mm-hmm. this parts next and this part, maybe Huli would just start jamming on something. We'd be like, Oh, let's just go with that for a little while. And somehow we'll make it back to the part it was going to go to. But um, yeah, the oh, craziest was, thing oh, for sorry, me, sorry. sorry, the craziest thing for me was how much creativity and arrangement was, was like, you know, in every song, it was like bubbling over and then it would just be like Timba, like holding it together with some idea that was like not jazz and not yeah. uh, jam. And and you guys all kept each other in check. And like Dave's drumming on the earliest stuff was like metal enough to like push that edge that I as a metalhead yeah. want to hear. But like, yeah, so I think it was like that perfect. So there's my. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was an interesting time. Yeah. Sure. Um, um, I, yeah, I don't I forget what I was actually going to cut i was trying to cut you off with now but um <laughs> well, i can go into i want to actually go into because i know behind yeah let me try and think behind all your because you got the you got the music man back there a lot of people want to know about gear that you're using so okay. so i mean with um i saw you with a straw you play stand up i saw you yeah. play um mostly what, what, the music man and the stand up um okay so back at the astro like i'm such a 50s and 60 guys now that i finally changed out um though even those strings on the five for for flat wound um yeah and, and so i don't ha- i have no way to even get a, like a metal tone anymore as a bass because even when we do metal in high castle the basses stay where they were so if it was like a jazz vibe the basses do not change it becomes drums and guitars over that other thing so mostly what i do now like i was saying earlier is four basses on everything i do my stand-up um i think that's over there in the car right Somewhere down there. Nice. Oh, yeah. nice. We got um, it. 
but I do stand up. I do the the Paul McCartney knockoff bass over there. Um, I'll sometimes I'll do the Stingray, but I also have the um, the reissue Seafoam Green '50s P bass. Um, and then sometimes a baritone guitar or a, a regular guitar, just palm muted. And then um, if you listen on some of the special, I, I did some of that stuff in a stratosphere, like on the song Buck Fever. I think the song Meteorite Showers. There was definitely some double ba- doubled and tripled basses going on, but now it's like my tone. Like I just do it on everything. And uh, if you listen on the High Castle stuff, yeah, you'll hear um, the basses are just really like, if you listen to it, you don't, it doesn't stick out to the ears. Like there's four bases. That's cool. Like you just, if you zero in on it, you might just be like, damn, that's a freaking cool bass on what the hell is that? And then, you know, it's kind of under the hood. It's like, well, that's, that's four bases. So that's why it sounds so good. <laughs> Which um, by the way, this is coming out on it's Friday for everybody who's listening to this. You're having an album teaser today. Oh yeah. Yeah. T- album teaser at 6 PM. Um, mountain time because that's what i'm in i'm making everyone figure out people in australia are like what does that mean for me like, <laughs> that's like four days said, away yeah <laughs> yeah mountain time on my youtube channel which you just if you just look up tim small google that shit yeah. google your time zone and mountain time versus but, um, tim smalls it's like we came up with this really cool teaser i don't know if any of you heard it did any of you get the bonus download thing on yeah YouTube? i did i haven't i haven't i haven't had time to actually okay. like get so, the teaser email, but i did we didn't want to um give away too much so we isolated little elements that are just going to be like where the hell's that gonna go like it's really more of this like li- it'll leave you with more questions than answers that's but perfect. at the same time and we had a, a made a cool little video for it so some people might be like hey, i already heard that in my bonus you know download or whatever but it's really just kind of putting it out there and, and building some curiosity we're in the home stretch of making this high castle record which you know for for people we haven't really talked about this yet or who don't know it's um three members of a stratosphere are, are are part of the core of it um myself original drummer dave murray and violinist timba harris um we've got steon the accordionist for farmer's market in norway one of the greatest musicians on the face of the earth like without any questions at I all no idea you had him um a bear mckinnon from bungle is in australia plays um sax and clarinet and flute and does a little bit of singing and keyboard stuff and writes really cool stuff um and then this guitarist who's really my main sort of guy uh, partner is chris bogan who's he wasn't part of any group we call him the the undistinguished in the band he doesn't <laughs> um he's this really great he's been like a secret chief he's been in that whole scene of just like fandom for a long time but um he emailed me after um I made the ISS record. I was like, Hey, if you ever need a guitarist. And eventually I was like, Hey, let me just email that guy and see what happens. And we developed this working relationship where we are like day to day, like I'm at work and we're like, Hey, what should we do with that part? Like we're just constantly, he, he has a family in new Orleans and we've met one time in person in, in two years that we've been working together. So we formed this group, high castle tele orchestra, you know, right at the, um, as the pandemic was getting underway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like an idea, like we're already kind of isolated. Like, it's not like the pandemic forced me into my basement. I was already in my basement. So it's, it's like, but, but I was like, <laughs> this is a good opportunity to come up with this new idea for a band, like a remote band where I kind of produce it and write a lot of the stuff and then send the stuff to people around the world and they send it back and I'll produce it. And Chris is sort of helping me produce it with, um, our sort of day to day back and forth stuff. And he's an awesome guitarist and the, and the, <laughs> think what happened is kind of like building on what we were talking about with she's a girl it's like i came back 10 years later and my production skills i hate complimenting myself but like 
um, they had gotten better. I don't know what it was. Like, I don't know if it was that I had all these plugins to like emulate old stuff or something just clicked that I could produce better. My ideas were more clear, kind of some of that stuff that I'd learned from chip and I've learned from like how to like make us like go into a song, knowing what you want instead of just like, Hey, we'll throw some stuff down and something will work. The, the better idea you have, at least for the form of the song, as long as your foundation is there, like I know my tempos and I know how long it is and how many sections repeat. And once you have that and lock it in, in your computer with the tempos and your click tracks, or if you use click tracks or whatever, and then your form is done and you can just build on that. And then you can start having some leeway, but um, everything had just gotten better with my production skills. If you listen to, she's a girl, you would hear that, that it was like um, one of the cleaner albums I'd ever, not clean, but like just had like a just, just cool fifties. You're like, man, it sounds like freaking 1961 right now or whatever. But then oh, yeah. I was like, I had gotten the pop thing. Cause I have these two little sides, the sort of proggy and then the pop. And then I had sort of gotten that out of my system a little bit. So I was like, Oh, I guess we could do like back to the stratosphere type of music. And then I had the idea it's a, it's a, it's a pandemic and, and we'll uh, get these different guys that I know that I've met and like make a band. And, and the fact that we have a little bit of a name will help get some attention to it. But we've been making a record, I think almost two years now and it's almost done. And I think it's honestly the best record I've ever made. Like, like, but by far yeah, the production, man, the cohesiveness, it, it's all based on a Philip K. Dick book, a uh, radio free album Um there's going to be three albums, actually. It's a 30-chapter book. It was his initial write for his masterwork, Valis, which Palace of Mirrors was based on. Um, not directly. It was, uh, Palace of Mirrors was more inspired. But we're mm -hmm. actually going just directly with this book. As I, you know, it's still abstract. You, you would never listen to it and be like, that's a book. Or like, I don't know. You know how it is. It's like, if people want to dive into that aspect, they can. But it gives us a context to frame all the music. Like this song is this chapter and this song is this chapter. Um, and it has a very, a lot of it, people will say, man, that sounds a lot like a stratosphere, like some of it. Um, but there's a little bit more a of a philosophical sort of sci-fi vibe. Some of which is on Palace of Mirrors, but it's more so now. Um, there's metal. Um, there's one song that will absolutely knock people's socks off. It's the last song on the record. That's a Romanian folk tune, a gypsy tune that we turn. Dave turns all like Meshuggah rhythms. And we have guest violinists from Bulgaria and cymbal and players from Bulgaria, Jesus. Um, things like that. But there's a cohesiveness to this record and it's a little more listenable, even though it does go to some heavy places. It's just very listenable. Like it's, it's kind of everything you, you hoped that kind of music would be, but sort of building off this, sort of boost I got in production for some reason from taking 10 years off and doing nothing. Um, I've just been building off that and the production just, just keeps getting better. I think the fact that I have Chris that are, we're bouncing ideas off each other and we're kind of honing in on the, you know, the right sound, but um, you guys have heard some of the stuff I, I'm assuming online. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's definitely. one of the more, it's one of the albums I've been anticipating for quite some time now. So, I'm, yeah. So we're, we're hoping to wrap up. Very, by excited New year's eve right now, I, was, I was like if i'm still working on this damn thing at the turn of the new year man <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be exciting we're, we're going to release it on a label in australia called um art is catharsis that's a they run a pretty cool operation of just like generally sort of open-minded kind of everything from proggy to like quote-unquote world meets noise meets kind of whatever and um gonna see how that goes so, you know hell um, yeah dude really with it we're not a touring band and we never will be so we need to gonna have, need to have like a super amazingly good digital marketing strategy so 
so you know, you, actually you guys actually kind of remind me not to this is kind of a random thought listening to you talk like with all the all the eclectic you know influences that you have and stuff like that the, to me it's like you guys are kind of like like a world famous chef that like <laughs> travels around and like goes and like sits there and goes goes to goes to bulgaria and tries, california gypsy metal exactly so delicious rich meal and yeah you fucking eat it it's like every bite want more at the end of it but you're so full you know? i feel like a, cor- a correlation to like just wanting more wanting different yeah. styles of taste I and mean, taste you know yeah. like musical or taste or taste it a actually like it, totally yeah a lot of it like i kind of i touched on earlier was like how a lot of our fans see the the technical aspect of things but we're more like Oh, listen to that freaking string sound the morricone got with that organ like mm-hmm. that's the stuff that would get us excited mm-hmm. um and, and that's the stuff we learned from listening to Disco Volante. And then when we met, you know, Bungle and spent a lot of time with Trey and he'd show us all these records, it's like, it was really exploring that whole avenue, which most of these fans of progressive music barely know any of this music. Like they've all heard of Morricone and they might be able to name one or two songs, but the dude's got like 500 soundtracks um, from the heyday, which is like the mid sixties through the mid seventies, which like I've got a buddy, um, Alan Bishop who runs the label, um, sublime frequencies. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but he's, he's like one of the world's greatest music collectors and he'll just pull out a record and be like, nobody knows this record. It's it's not even available anymore. And he puts it on and you're like, what the hell man is like, is, is there's a whole world of that sort of Mr. Bungle thing. It's not in that same context and it's not like evil clowns and things like that, but it's like the tones and the aesthetic of the recording is almost as important as the composition, not quite. And there's sometimes where it's kind of crazy. You'll listen and the tones are like that bass tone fucking guitar tone dude how do you get that tone and you're like you know what this song's kind of shitty like if i were to play this on a piano you'd say like go fuck yourself this is awful <laughs> but but the tones are so good that you're actually tricked you're like i will put this as a five star in my itunes right now like it's totally. that good. yeah so with, the, with the tones of, of you being an engineer and stuff like that so what do you think like since you're such into like classic old school stuff like um and you're talking about plugins and shit like do you yeah. think that like these plugins are achieving are getting close to that old school style Ish. nowadays ish they, they approximate it and create the facade which in many cases is good enough and it's like not i'm not going to buy you know five hundred thousand dollars worth of gear exactly so, so it will have to do ideals i still do have things like a consumer grade 70s cassette recorder now so when i record my organ in from you know some really great plug-in like contact and you're like man that's a great sounding B3 organ, but it's just a little clean. It's just, uh, I can try to add a little bit of analog fuzz with a plug-in, but I will just freaking slam it to that tape with the needles just absolutely, <laughs> no, not even bouncing back. Um, and then I'll fly that back into the computer. And since the the stretch of the tape, I might have to line it up in a few spots to, to get it to, but it only takes me maybe two minutes to do that. Yeah, and then, and then, so I, like I said, I selectively choose things to make lo-fi, which, which to me really enhances the aesthetic of the recording. So mm-hmm. a lot of what I do, I have so many plugins that'll be like, oh, do you want it on like a seventies VHS tape or to go through this hi-fi tape deck or this old German compressor or the analog distortion from a Neve preamp. Um, yeah. So a lot of what I'm doing is in there and I'm relatively happy with the tones I'm able to get. I'm sure it's not as good, but in the interest of time and budget, it totally. will have to, it'll have to do. Yeah, because I, I noticed like you know, there's a lot of purists, especially in, in metal and stuff, where you talk about the uh, amp like remodelers and stuff like that. People are like, well, 
you need those you need those tubes to, to yeah. make it sound exactly our it's homie like it's, matt right matt yeah it's Stella, a, yeah he, he's tube uh he's <laughs> yeah. waiting to still build there's no reason shit. not to do that if you're no playing, no totally exactly you're metal where you know most of the metal doesn't have that many instruments in it so yeah tones are of utmost importance where with me i might have 300 tracks in one high castle song Jesus. where like the tone of the flute's not that important you know like no, <laughs> yeah. no one's gonna hear it <laughs> You know, like it's got to be played through an old school uh, flute amp. Echo. Like. Tape echoes. Echo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Always that little. And it kind of echoes past it. Yeah. Just a little. Yeah. And there's just a time in the technology when it was being recorded and what made you fall in love with it in, in the beginning and, and the technology that was available back then that made it that. So it's like pretty impossible to kind of capture the exact. What was great know. about those days, though, is if you could imagine, you know, look through this control room glass here and you see this little Brian Wilson type of orchestra, but they had those all throughout Europe and stuff. They were all doing that for all the soundtracks. They had those same A-list jazz players in the room. They might have 20 guys in there. They would get their tones. They would mix straight to tape, no multi-tracking. The yep. idea that I need to commit to something right now is a great idea. You can get lost in digital in this um, possibilities that you're never going to come up. I can't tell you how many times I record like 20 different strings or something. And I'm like, here's my plugins stereo track. I don't give a fuck. I'm erasing the rest of those. I don't care. It's done. I will never yeah, look yeah, back yeah, on yeah. this again. I don't, I don't look back a lot. Even if I regretted something, I can always change the EQ a little. If I committed to some effects, I can't really change those. But um, I, I think getting lost in that I could change it later. I could change it later is kind of a deadly idea in digital for, especially for someone like me, who's got, I'm not kidding, 300 tracks per song. Jesus. Um that I do a lot of taking those 300 tracks and seeing what things I can turn into a stereo um, stem to just be done with it. You know, if I just change track 272, dude, I think that uh, (laughs) it'll bring out a little bit more reverb. How can you, how can you possibly have 300 tracks? Like what's, what's a hundred? My mind's blown. What's like, what's the most tracks what what instrument gets the most tracks in that 300 if i ever do vocals like i have a a plan i have a way i do my background vocals which is always going to be at least 15 tracks um because i triple everything with that same you know one fist away two fist away here's the bright guy and this guy's the round guy and this guy's the regular guy and he's back here and uh so that'll be 15 right there we don't do a ton of vocals in high castle but strings will take up a lot um i have like three guitars. vocal tracks that i've done and you're like 15 we don't have a lot dude it's- the beach boys <laughs> did it's kind of funny that i try to emulate them and then i totally don't do what they did they did they sang live their background vocals into one mic i think there might have been a mic on the bass vocalist too mike love and then the rest of them around one mic like a, probably a sennheiser or something um and then they would double that so they would just have two sets of, they would usually have five parts in more of their sophisticated stuff. So there'd be 10 voices for, for them. But for me, it's something I was always wanted it to sound a little grander than what it is without it sounding like a choir. Like you do mm-hmm. not want it to sound, that's like the death of uh, the, the Beach Boys sound as if it sounded like some kind of like community theater choir or something like you just wouldn't and want it to sound like It sounded like a f- just a few guys. Yeah. I mean, so they, yeah. they their sounds pretty thick if you, and, and, and that, Part of when you do separate background vocals, the the discrepancy in tuning is actually what makes it sound good. Like if you were to auto-tune everything, it would sound awful because the fact that these notes are rubbing on each other is creating some vi- good vibration um, inside. Of, yeah. <laughs> Not nice. to That's what you did. No like pun it. intended. Yeah. <laughs>
Sick. So dude, actually, one thing I actually wanted that. to one other thing I want to touch on we didn't touch on was uh getting involved with Kevin and the Shamasin and 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 basically like uh because I mean he used to come into our house and stuff and hang oh, out yeah, and yeah. jam like and play like Ingve Malmsteen just to like impress us because we're like the metal funny, kids man. and stuff yeah funny, yeah dude and he come over with the Shamasin I'll just be like gee like had I mean I I had a basic idea of how it worked but um. What the fuck Man. is the pick thing that you use to play so that? Was it like a flector or some plectrum or what? What do you call that thing? I don't know. I think it's like a paint scraper. It's like, yeah, a, it's like, like the a, size of my iPhone, like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he picked that up. We we initially brought him in for his diversity that he could play, you know, guitar and keyboards. And we didn't, and we had Jason and you don't really need another guitarist in a stratosphere, but we were able to have him sort of cover other parts, um, you know, and, and, and play keyboards and then some shamisen, which, you know, shamisen is an awesome instrument, but it's also the kind of instrument that, like, you ask anyone that's lived around this thing, it's like, okay, it's like there's only so much shamisen I can take if you're like practicing ten hours a day, like, rah, 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 you know, it's, a very, it's kind <laughs> of an abrasive instrument, right? It has a very sharp attack, like it just yeah. kind of goes right into your soul. Um, but he really sort of picked that thing up and devoted himself to it. Is pretty nuts. Um, you know, we didn't have like a ton of like. There's only so much. It's hard to fit it in in a rock band because it's hard to get it to cut over mm-hmm. drums and guitars and things like that. So I think in Palace of Mirrors, we, I mean, there was one part of Corporate Merger, and he played a solo in Corporate yep. Merger, and, mm-hmm. then, those and then those who know was a feature for the Shamisen, and that may have been the only Shamisen on the entire which is a great show. fucking song. That song yeah. he wrote. Dude. He wrote that song with um, <laughs> Timba, but Kevin wrote most of that, um, which is cool to give a different voice. You know, someone. You know, you let's bring someone in the band and you don't tell them, you know, Yo, you're not the original members. You can't write anything. And like, he's a great writer in his own right. So it was cool to be able to get a different, uh, it was very proggy. And then Timba and I kind of turned it into that, um, what we call Spaghetti Eastern, that sort of Morricone tribute uh, in, the, in the middle where it takes <laughs> spaghetti that. Spaghetti Eastern. I yeah. love that. <laughs> I think dude. that's even on Astratosphere's Wikipedia at this part. Uh, yeah. They have named many styles that they've, <laughs> they've were the inventor of, including, but not that's limited to. That's fucking perfect. Though, yeah. That, oh. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. Yeah, it is definitely Holy Spaghetti shit. Eastern because we, we, I mean, I'm a, how do you say this? Like, you know, people are like, oh, you ripped that off or you ripped that off. Like my view of music is that actually music is part of, of math and it's part of the universe. So like something you can uncover, you just uncover it. And if I happen to study, this is how the Beach Boys did it. And this is how Joe Meek, Joe Meek did it. And this is how Bungle did it. This is how Morricone did it. And then I synthesize my own little thing, but I'm clearly referencing those things. It's like, I don't give a crap. Look at how yeah. much like secret chiefs you know uh have you heard that thing that sounds exactly like mamishka mouse squaws they people have put, posted it on the bungo it's like it's some song from the 50s that's exactly it's like yeah, everything's already been done who gives a crap yeah i know you, could you, you imagine music? like here's, and, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a fun thought experiment like could you imagine if there was like a band like let's say like we're in 2021 and no band has ever taken influence for another band. <laughs> like yeah. what the fucking sounds would be like? Like it would be yeah. like spaceships. Like I don't even. I don't even know. I have spaceships no farting. Dude. I mean, the lame shit would be like if you if you were like influenced by Bungle and you got together and then like yeah we're gonna have like a Patton style thing. Okay, like that's just too much. Like no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. need like just change the singer up a little. Bit. I don't yeah, see yeah. it though. I don't. No, like, they, they the rip, did. No, I'm saying with, oh. with Stratosphere, I don't oh. see the rip. I don't see it. There, I there, think there, there guys... are definitely huge things that, that were definitely lifted as ideas. I, you want to know the very worst one of all that I think took got us the most shit? 
Um, the mm. end of meteorite showers, there's a little circus clown part. And we even do the laughing kind of like in carousel when the clowns are laughing. It's like uh, that okay. might've taken it just a little too far with the circus clown. Oh, it's an but homage. It was just one little moment. It's not a big deal. I don't, I still like that part, but um, I've, I've been called. I've had plenty of bands where people have said that riff is this band's riff. Yeah. It, it's it happened since I was it in high school. It must be hard in metal. It's, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, as you can tell, I'm no expert in metal. But like the timbres are much more limited than what I'm dealing with, because you're it's dealing true. with guitars and drums and bass and vocals for the most part. So like, how many different types of things can you get out of the same timbre? That's very um, true. There's not yeah. a lot of dynamics in metal, um, unless you go to like a clean section. The or towel something. has been wrung dry. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. why. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. Like some of the stuff we're doing in High Castle is we're 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 going through like jazz chord changes, but in metal. Like like if you look at some of the you know the the chords we're dealing with never, this stuff okay. it's crazy oh, stuff it's like that yeah, yeah 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 we're not going just like some bonehead atonal riff it's like um it's, do you guys go with humorous song names before you actually name it because that's what we do too no this is all based on the chapters of the book so each, oh, each okay. chapter we found the essence the line in the chapter that summarizes the essence of the chapter like the first chapter is called the egg that never opened where it's this guy with this potential that never fulfilled. He was stuck being a record clerk in Berkeley in the fifties and he never had gotten past that. He couldn't do anything, but he had all this potential. So he said this line in it that like, I was like the egg that never opened mm. or like, there it is. That's the name of the song. Yeah. The first song. Um, it just pops out if you're waiting for it, if you let it. It's, that does. Totally. I mean, cause a lot of people too, that were, you know, like record clerks in the fifties or whatever, but maybe like, we're, they're kind of like, shy or something but they were like geniuses and they never they never got the chance to express themselves musically and like they could like music could have been completely different if a couple of those clerks or whatever you know do the first um the first chapter in that book radio free albemouth is the egg that never opened is what we call the chapter which i think we may actually end up calling the record um the guy is talking about all these different records that he's listening to so he's got stravinsky firebird suite he has this German liberal war march from the 40s, or it was like pre-World War II, um, this, this thing that would Hans de Kommissar. He references all these early American show tunes, um, you know, so Bing Crosby and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, this is going to make a perfect psychedelic medley. If I can find a way to weave into all of these things he's talking about. So it's going from like Firebird Suite to the Hans de Kommissar, but I reharmonized all the chords. So instead of, you know, in German, it would just be like G, D, G over and over this little melody. Da, 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 da. But I'm like, what if he's I got turn a German it? accent while he does it? What if I turn <laughs> it into you know, the camarade. If you look at the chords I, I put on it instead, see this section called camarade wears. There it is. Mm-hmm. I, I just completely went to town in like a, a steely Dan type of way, like rearranged. We're doing sharp 11, 13 chords with a, you know, a sharp nine and a D in the, the, the seven is in the bass. Like, uh, but keep, you know, when you reharmonize stuff like they do in jazz, it's like the melody stays on top and is still justified by this weird chord that you've changed underneath of it. So this medley, I'm actually really excited about. I'm working on it right now because we finished most of the tunes, but this one is still kind of stumping me of how I'm going to like fit it all together. Um, So you just, you just showed plenty of sheet music. And that's one of the questions that I wanted to ask you tonight was um, 
every time that I've seen you perform, sheet music is right there. Usually me, usually, especially me. I, 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 I yeah. had a harder time than anybody getting off a page. I don't know why. Some of our stuff was like long and hard, like hunger strike. I didn't need a page for, except for this one section, which for some reason I could never boom, 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 boom. Like I couldn't do that section for some reason. So I had, but some of these songs where it's like repeating stuff, but not quite repeating where it's like the most confusing thing to have some slight variation. And Timba could memorize it. Jason could memorize it. I was, if you look at Palace of Mirrors, you'll see the one dude who's like on certain songs is absolutely glued to the page. Um, I probably could have if I put a better. No, I it. actually, I respected that. I was like, okay, this guy really fucking not only because I always see. It wasn't because I was sight reading. It was because I like could not, for whatever reason, <laughs> memorize this damn stupid part. Like, like I should have been off of it by some point. But as a person who never got into playing an instrument other than doing a four, four beat and doing a G chord. Yeah. Um, watching you be able to play that while reading and the same thing with lee jamming with odious a few times he would play awesome charts. music yeah. and and i i always would just like it would blow my mind because you guys are doing multiple things at once the and cool thing it, like I, I like now i don't even I, like i can write out the notes if i want to but i use this more to get my form like you see there's like nothing in the notes like it's me i have section names i have how many bars the section are and i have which chords are in that section so it gives me the basically the, the blueprint of the section and and when i play it in as a midi note i usually just print my charts off of there like i, I might as well just use that because it'll just turn it right to notes um yeah but, yeah, but no, I I just always would respect you out of every for what you're saying. You're trying to like have excuses for. I'm like yeah. I'm watching you more than everybody else because I'm like it's a oh, cool dude. visual, especially like yeah for people who who might think that rock you know for whatever reason even though Stratosphere is the farthest thing from a rock band, you could still vaguely categorize. We've got drums and guitar and bass and things like that. Yeah. So it's not very often that you see a rock band reading. Did you so <laughs> playing regular bass before stand up? When did the stand up actually get into your life? I, I think I got it right before I moved up to Santa Cruz, so toward the end of Don Salsa. So I, I only played I when I started a stratosphere, I'd barely been playing stand up at all. Like, mm -hmm. so I, you know, I, 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 I never, I still would. I wouldn't consider myself like um, an incredible stand-up bass player. Like, honestly, like have you ever seen that guy who he still lives in Santa Cruz, do you ever see that guy, that jazz bass player he played in every coffee shop? His name Dan Robbins. Um, he's the most shredding bass player in Santa Cruz. Like, but he should be an international success. He's that good, but he's just like, ah, brah. And he just likes to be in Santa Cruz. Like he went to UC Santa Cruz, but like the dude for you're like Thelonious Monk at 300 tempo, like whatever, in whatever key he just doom. He's there. He goes, he's got it. Whoa, Let's play Cherokee damn. 12 keys. Like, because I spend so much time producing, I never really, sat and just absolutely put in the wood shedding on my instrument. I was adequate enough to get some stuff done and people would listen to some of my solos and be like, Oh my God, he's the best. He's amazing. That's awesome. I, I think it's cool to people, but like, I know what I am and I, my, my real skill is, is as a producer and sort of an arranger. That's like what I really do. The bass is just a little tool for me to finish that production. Like I don't practice bass. Like I never practiced. Bass. It's not there like was, imposter syndrome where you feel like you're, you're, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome, yeah. honestly, a little bit like, like some things I've done solos where, you know, people probably didn't know that like I wrote that solo out. 
and I just memorized it and it was way better than anything I probably would have improvised and Mm -hmm. whatever. Cool. If they think I improvised it, that's awesome. But, um, yeah, yeah. If you think that that just came off the top of my head, then you think I'm really freaking good. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll keep the secret. (laughs) Yeah. And part of it is like the part of the mystery of recording is you can do all kinds of stuff. You know, you can do all kinds of trickery and, and fixing notes and things like that. It's like, I'll do all that stuff. Like I do, I move notes around all the time. I move drum parts around. I move the timing, you know, to be better or, or whatever, whatever. I can understand like you're, you're making something that's going to be frozen in time. Yeah. You know, and, and you have to, as an artist be at least just to the point where you're like, okay, I'll let this go now. I'll let it go out into the wild. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't listen to it ever again for the most part, unless you're showing someone uh, you just yeah, don't like yeah. while it's weird. Like what you guys probably know this, but like while you're making your record, it's like magical. It's almost like people around you can't understand it. Like, why do you keep listening to your stuff? You're like in the car. Like, Boom, let me hear the mix in here. Let me hear it in here. Uh, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you finally finish it. And you're just like, wah, wah, wah. it's very <laughs> anticlimactic. And it, it, what you realize is because you love the process. It's the yeah, process. It's the you journey. love. It's the and journey. once you've, finished it it's kind of sad and it's kind of like okay on to the next thing also to the i think the climax almost is like when you first hear like a like a almost yeah like your your first something yeah like you you first hear it like oh shit that's that's exactly or even better than i thought it was going to be i was going to be like i had this in my mind working on it like in fucking 110 decibel you know like uh, environments and then like we're actually listening to it in a controlled like yeah vehicle like listening to it and that's and the last like, oh, time you will ever enjoy it exactly and then, like <laughs> now it's just like and now it's practice and playing it live and yeah and for the the youngins that are coming up and wanting to get into this they may look at it differently like we all did before we got into this but it was always about the final product back then but the final product never brings what, what we're just saying right now. Never well, I think the final, pr- the final product is for. coming along a lot faster now, though, because of technology and, and, and things like that with like, and, well, mainly with metal bands, like metal bands are like, we had this idea, record it, boom, final, like within a day, you have, you have something yeah. to listen to in your car, virtual you know I mean? drums and like get the idea down through that and then replace stuff. And totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Exactly. And bringing an idea to fruition. That's definitely pretty awesome yeah that's the that's the whole thing about it and then it just something happens where i I don't i do not listen to my music um unless i'm showing somebody who like hey check this out you've never heard my stuff and like i have to figure out like what out of the 200 tracks i've recorded (laughs) am i going to show you is like my style like you're just it's such a weird thing and i'm the kind of person that like you can probably tell but like I sit there and just like talk your ear off. Like, listen to this. I can't just let people like sit back and figure it out on their own. Like totally. I have to be telling you like, listen to that bass tone there. I'm like, just <laughs> shut up, dude. Just shut the hell up. This is kind of a <laughs> fucked up question, but like, let's, let's pretend like you're a, you're a single man and you're dating and they're like, Whoa, your music. I want to hear your music. What do you put on for them? <laughs> um, I would, I, my go-to, especially because like who I meet now in my normal, like parent life is yeah. going to be people, people that have zero context. I so can't do you match, like, do you match like their personality and, and, and stuff to, okay. I think a great one for a stratosphere, honestly, like I think the best track you could introduce them to is Macabre Siatinisa. It starts mm-hmm. with like five minutes of a traditional Greek kind of vibe. Um, and then it goes metal, but you're still hearing the medley or the, the melody of the Greek. It's not overwhelmed by the metal and it's kind of short and sweet. It's, I don't think it's longer than five or six minutes. 
Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't go into any like the metals there, but it's just kind of an element that it becomes. Um, I think that's a great one that, that they're already hooked. They hear that. And you're like, oh, cool. You guys play that Egyptian shit, man. Like, oh, <laughs> I remember Tim Bud told me like he was. He was hanging out with some hippie dude who was smoking some weed and he played him some a corporate merger and the dude's like, bro, love the Egyptian shit, bro. <laughs> and Tim was very much one of those people who doesn't like to throw around the label of like world music or whatever. Like, okay, whatever this is that we're doing, it's not even Romanian, even though we're inspired yeah. by Romanian music. And it's definitely not Egyptian. Like, <laughs> I'm really glad you like it, dude. It's about so 4,000 miles, 5,000 miles off. But <laughs> It's funny when people hear those little harmonic minor scales that that's all, you know, exactly. they just don't have a context of uh, people don't have a very good um, context of music from different countries. Like just it's like Eastern know. Indian, Egyptian, like right, all kind right. of like that style. Like, like, yeah. Pakistani versus Indian. There's, there's crazy different. I mean, Zorn with Masada, Jewish, traditional. That's where that you know you could listen to from. Cambodian yeah. music, but then there's also you know ethnic minority music from Northeast Cambodia that sounds completely different than the. See, um, this is God. so exciting, dude! Like I, I have so many different rabbit holes from this podcast. Dude, so if you dude. remember nothing else from this conversation, Sublime Frequencies—it's that label that my my buddy Alan runs, um, and he he has a different take on world music, and instead of like having this sort of sterile university vibe, like we're here from Cambridge university to record your tribe and we're going to make a record out of it. Like Smithsonian, he just goes to the country and he'll spend like six months there and like dumpster dive through cassettes at thrift shops from like the seventies shortwave radio recording goes out into the bush to hang out with tribes, street musicians and records them, goes into clubs and he comes home and puts it all into a collage of one CD um, of his entire trip dude. where he's got like 30 or 40 hours of music. Um, mm. And it is the most, if you look up their website after we get off and you'll read, they just have this weird like lo-fi freaking avant-garde approach to world music where they just go and, I mean, who knows what the copyright Sublime is. frequencies. Yeah, it's it's some of the crazy, it was part of the, um, I, I did a little demo collage on the, the free thing I just gave away on email. There's, there's me yes. making a collage of some of their best little bits. That's sick, dude. Yeah. You'll be like, where are they? Like, it's awesome. The dude. cool thing was there was a point and MIDI kind of, I don't know if you guys probably know this, but MIDI kind of killed everything. Like we're talking about this era where you could have studio musicians that we had no other way to do things. There was a period of time in the sixties and seventies where like as much as people hate America politically, like, and talk all kinds of crap about us, how come it's, they're always looking to us for innovation, no matter what, like whether it's jazz or rock, you go into a cafe in Amsterdam and they're playing Stevie wonder. They're not playing music from Amsterdam. Like mm-hmm. that's just how it is. So there was a point among all of these countries, whether you're talking about Thailand, the Philippines, Syria, and that's what Alan with sublime frequencies is exploring where they were like, trying to play rock music but they couldn't help but play their own tunes and it's just Mm -hmm. this magical combination you'll hear the telecaster guitars and the cool organ sounds and before midi came and ruined it all there's just like these awesome freaking tones on everything and it will blow your mind talk about a rabbit hole man you know listen the thing is it's overwhelming (laughs) you you can kind of listen to some of the titles and see which ones may interest you more than others um because there's a lot they have like probably a hundred releases. Um, God, God, man. 
Well, I'm also thinking about like Jamaica and the early reggae and being super influenced by Motown. You can hear that. In Absolutely, man. Great movies. production on that. I'm not a huge reggae fan, but you listen to like the tones and everything. Yeah. Um, just the, like, man, the, the snare drum sounds and the organs. And it, it's just freaking awesome. Awesome sonic palette. Man, I got some shit to do this <laughs> weekend. Too, uh, like, so Tim, listen to this. Well, we still got you because I know we're getting in past two hours. But uh, I just wanted to ask about the stratosphere going to Burning Man and playing there. Yeah, yeah. How'd that yeah. end up going? So we we got sort of. Um, I don't know if we were hired. We were asked to be the band of this like opera that was going out there. And like my girlfriend at the time had had got me like, oh, you guys got to be the band. I can't remember if they paid us or if they were just going to let us perform on the stage that they had built. Cause he, cause getting any real estate out there with like any kind of PA and everything, that's the hard thing is like, where do we mm-hmm. play? Um, so we were um, out there and, and played, I think we've, did we play just one? I know I went multiple years. We may have played even two years. Um, and it was nuts, man. It was like, I mean, the, the, the worst thing about it is just all the freaking techno music. Like, <laughs> I, I hate techno music. It really makes me like homicidally angry, like at all. If I hear any techno music and, and there are like all these hipsters from the Bay Area, these dot com geeks that, that think they have a wild side that bring the loudest freaking sound system you have ever heard. And we have this crappy little like JBL setup. And we're like, we cannot compete. So it was kind of lame as far as that went. But we made some lifelong fans there of people like playing, playing Hunger Strike in the middle of the desert. But um, yeah. it was kind of a rough weekend because the girlfriend, you know, that I had at the time decided it was a good idea to dump me right there and start sleeping with the director of the of the play. Oh fuck! Like, like just in plain sight, and you're like, he just couldn't have waited till later. And so, you know, I, I got a whole ISS, you know, a, a Beach Boys doo-wop record out of that whole experience. So it was pretty good. But, um, it was surreal playing out there. I, I liked. I had a good time at Burning Man, but it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. It is. She's cool. a girl. Was based yeah. on this situation. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my god. Oh, my god. Yeah. The first you just added another was, thing. Um, I gotta go dig on the now. The first dude. record of ISS. So our, our records were called "Forget About the Girl" and the second one was she's a girl so it was the theme mm. going on there um but burning man is, is, is a, you guys dude. probably know all the all the the pitfalls of the excesses of the hipster bay area techno drug mm. scene like you get all these douchey but it's still cool that you're out there and you're not going to your nine to five there's some really cool connections you make but um in the end you still and they're not they're only a percentage you know there's people you just out start there seeing like what is this really for they're just gonna burn everything and it's like 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 what is it like i don't know there's, wasn't it actually very- it was i learned recently that that was there was a different festival that used to go down and burning man was only one of the only one of the uh things about that I'm, festival i'm not sure and then the that burning man thing turned into the new festival huh. yeah there were the people who started burning man would start in san francisco at the beach, at the beach yeah. there and it was like a troop that like did some stuff and that was yeah. like one of the guys kind of turned off. into this like corporate hipster bay area scene but still an experience you can't really get anywhere else but i couldn't help but seeing the sort of excesses yeah just the the lane like i don't know everything i didn't like about that scene and the the preposterous I hope they got a good cleanup Bay area too. art scene. Yeah, they do. They do all a pretty good job of leaving. It's expensive right. as fuck. So they probably yeah. have a $500,000 like $220 a ticket or something. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. It's, like it's probably way more too. now. Yeah. Jeez. Like insane. I just, there, there was, there is like that burner culture that 
is in Santa Cruz that it's like oh, yeah. an older school version of the burner yeah. culture. And I, I think like a lot older, of people are nostalgic I, I like about those that. ones. I, I knew some guys that were really into it for like the art of it. And even though they're going to go and build some beauty, I mean, there are people that built like temples yeah. and you're supposed to go in and like, write, you know, something to a loved one that died and then they burn it down. But it's like, everyone goes and does and like pretty powerful stuff, but then just lots of random stuff too, where you're like, you know, there's that, the, the, the couch on wheels and then there's the living room on wheels but then they they crashed into each other i remember my friend aaron was like someone got hurt the couch crashed into the living room he's like oh, that sucks man that totally sucks that, that and then he's like then it dawned on me the couch crashed into the living room and like i was like actually we're like, supposed to be yeah yeah what about so all-time best uh stratosphere live shows was it the palace of mirrors mirrors tour or were there some as like, far really as, good like, tours like as shows? far as we performed i i think for sure although you know purists would say like some of those old shows like Hooli was a huge person to lose i mean the guy was so talented such an amazing soloist could could rip the roof off of the place with just his sax solo um so we had to replace him with two people basically so but but i think uh, the, the precision of palace of mirrors was always something more of what i was going for so when i look back and then as far as like where we played that was the best like our best crowds were always montreal we'd have five or six hundred yeah. people sold out uh, in us we'd play for 150 people it was a huge discrepancy we're like that's so funny because that's literally like with, with, uh, with the style of music that we played like the crazy technical stuff like montreal was like the spot for that they always were looking for that like super different um extreme version of what they originally were listening to you know what a I mean? weird little town yeah that's where my wife's from uh, so yeah we've spent a good deal of time there and it's um, definitely some of our best shows there just but you know as far as like play i'm not sure there was ever a better show we did than the attic at the end of the palace of mirrors oh, tour dude and i, I was love there that i'm I could say i was there dude <laughs> yeah that was a good show fuck yeah dude that was literally like because end of the tour it's like begin i see you at the beginning of the tour you're you're fucking good but ev- was, every band is like seasoned there was so many pitfalls the tour, to the dude. technical aspect of that we had like certain songs with samples that the drummer had to be in sync with because there's just certain things we couldn't didn't have enough hands to pull off so we would have to like do some samples from time to time so some of that stuff of just all the key mapping and do i have the right key map pulled up and if i press this button this timpani turns into an organ and the <laughs> celesta turns into a glockenspiel Jesus. Like, those are the kind of things i was programming into the keyboards um God. you know and i yeah so so but so so getting of course there's going to be a bunch of hiccups at the beginning and so we had we have that we've had like full-on disasters where we had to like start the song over and shit like that oh uh, fuck dude. yeah I'm, so because whenever you're dealing with samples you you might have a complete and total derailment well i was just i was just gonna say that makes me feel good because we've also had a train wreck too. As a band, a train wreck is the worst thing to have. Got to be able to pull opinion. out of it somehow. Someone's got to take. Tr- everybody's lead. trying too, yeah. and then when it finally just did, 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 did. I mean, with the crepit and stuff, we would do it and like somehow catch on again and be like, "Fucking thank God!" You know what I mean? Like, like one yeah. person like looks at the drummer, the drummer looks at the other person. Like, I'm like, "Okay, we're there now. Okay, let's go there. Boom, just pull out of it." But like when it derails, it's like something that takes. Not to rhyme, but that's something out of your sales. Yeah. It's like it yeah. literally <laughs> completely like and and for me, like I was always like, depending on how far we are through the song, like 
do you start the song over or do you just move on? Like, you know what I mean? That's, that's the one part. That's, a, that's the big question. Yeah. If yeah. someone can get to that next section, then you can, you can myth, but there's gotta be a leader. You know, a leader needs to step up. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Anthony, do you remember that cynic show at, uh, the slims where they started veil of Maya and then they like, train wreck the beginning of it and like stopped and, it and started and over dawn yep. and someone's like we waited 15 years we can wait one more song or something oh, like dude you oh my god dude i totally remember that guy and it, it's crazy to think that they were like we're gonna play the full set and then they never did wow. no didn't they didn't they do veil of maya over again i think did they, they did they start it over again i think they okay. just tweaked the headphone mix and then they started that song over again right, but i right. guess i'm not sure yeah I don't know. No, well, memory is fucking weird, dude. So it's like, I know they came back and did some encore shit that was like, yeah, the, the acoustic uh, stuff. Yeah, it wasn't. What's that retraced EP? Oh uh, yeah, Wheels okay. Within Wheels. Like yeah, the banger. Yeah. The song or, rips. Retrace was that the new song that was on there? Wheels Within Wheels. Yeah, that was the okay. the. And then the, they yeah. did like the reworkings of those songs as well. The other four, yeah, yeah. That was a great fucking time though dude Hell yeah was, was that that who else between the buried and me no was that, that was a uh, intro not and uh dysrhythmia i think on that oh intro not that, that actually brings me up to uh we were we, oh, yeah. we had uh, joe, lester. joe lester we had joe lester from intro not on and um he we basically like we asked him in the middle of him like do you know like because he went to santa cruz and stuff is that the uh, guy who played here. bass in the secret chiefs later yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 we had him bassist yep yeah. exactly so we randomly like had i mean he's one of our good friends but like had him on the like one of the earlier podcasts and i was like are you so you're from santa cruz not from santa cruz but like played in santa cruz and lived here for a while he's all i asked him like have you like heard of stratosphere like no he brought up a stratosphere on his own dude he, no i remember i, I asked him i asked him about i asked him about it and he said that he saw them in a uh and you guys playing in a lunch hall because I, I remember i remember like i yeah, watched I it kind of recently yeah, totally. At UCSE that you guys were just playing oh, wow. like some random standards in like a fucking lunch hall there or something. And he's yeah, like, for the, for the students to do stuff like sometimes we'd play our own gigs and other times they would hire us to be like background music. So I wonder if he saw us playing like autumn leaves or something. Suck, man. You're not supposed no, to was, leave anymore. He, <laughs> well, he literally talks about how, like how you guys just like kind of oh, like, boom, like kind of blew his mind and stuff. And then Cause he was stuck in, I forget like, <laughs> I, I, I forget what, like what style he was stuck in or what, like his brain was like focused on maybe just straight jazz or something at the time. And then he saw you guys kind of mix it up a little bit and he was like, Ooh, what the fuck is this? This, this is the band playing in the lunch hall right now. Yeah. We like, definitely fuck. had a bunch like, of gigs up there. Yeah. Yeah. And he like talks his, about later on chiefs, like with the odd he's collaborated with Jason, timings, I'm sure. yeah. the, oh, yeah. dude their timings are ridiculous like people are thinking like eighth notes 16th notes and then you get into the polyrhythms but then sometimes you can do these rhythms that are like they don't quite i don't even know how to explain it but like you can't um and you can do anything you want you can do it right in the computer i could be like here's four four but i could just say i can just press insert seven notes within the time of four and create a separate click track of seven in that time of four and then you can not listen to the four click track and you could have one guy just playing in seven like not seven as in seven four or seven eight but seven divided among the four so seven over four yeah um, yeah totally. yeah you could do stuff like that um the, the chiefs do some really esoteric rhythms on some of their stuff uh that's really interesting what's uh is jason still doing is it atomic ape is that they the name changed the name again it's the oh, third it's red name fiction change. red yeah. fiction right 
Yeah, yeah. Third name change, same lineup. Or no, I don't know. It's exactly the same lineup, but they, they made a record. Orange Tulip really conspiracy. It was Orange was Tulip, first. then Atomic okay. Ape. And um well it's Orange Tulip was never really a band. It was yeah, like, it was like an album. solo album. Um yeah. and he got some guys that he'd met in LA and that, and then I think he just didn't like the name Atomic Ape, so went with Red Fiction and made some he he's turned into a really, really good producer down there in LA. Um he has his own mm-hmm. studio. Um we don't really keep in touch much. He's just such busy and separate lives, but um, I listen to his music. It's really good. Like he's really done some good stuff. His production is, is really great. Like he was never much of a, he was producing some stuff by the end of palace of mirrors, but he's sort of definitely come into his own as that. Um, He's still currently secret chiefs. Whenever they go out, they haven't gone yeah, out. I don't Cause think I saw long. him at the chapel yeah, me too, with a, Ed cross or something. There's a Zorn, uh, Re, uh residency four okay. nights for, oh, yeah. for zorn's birthday pre-pandemic yeah um and the night that i went with uh our homie trevor um it was zorn and it, it was cleric zorn and uh mike Patton doing a freestyle improv sax I've seen one too thing. many of those things <laughs> <laughs> it, the funny thing is it took a long time because you're so into the open mind like this is when we were like young and you know into don salsa and we're like we were in all the disco volante we go up to slims and see cobra and see all this stuff yeah. eventually we just got into like you know what the stuff is just kind of self-indulgent all this mm-hmm. farting into yeah. the microphone and it takes a long time if you're like a worshiper to to be to be like you know i'll say that that was my least favorite part of the night this is cool but you know what like uh, my my freaking uncle could probably do some of this stuff that's all it's cool you guys uh, check out the yoko ono part of the night you guys were (laughs) but he's he's a phenomenal like the way that like the chiefs have worked his compositions oh yeah those no, two it's albums. like it's like through the lens of everything Trey does from the production and the arrangement and yeah. the rhythms. It's 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 almost like you wouldn't know it was a Zorn tune because it, yeah. it has and, such and Trey's mark Zorn on it. Zorn squealing is on the sax is definitely what turns most people off, but they need to understand he doesn't that. play that much anymore. Like you see, it's mostly he's a composer. Um, yeah, yeah, and so. his stuff is amazing. A lot of his stuff is yeah. really fucking. He just releases sick, too much stuff for my taste. I think I'm of the the school of thought. Like you see what I do. I, I, if I'm working on a record, it's like two or three years, and you're going to get one record. Then there's going to be like a four year pause. So like quality Zorn, over quantity. Yeah, Zorn, and, Zorn is and I'm into hundreds the of records, hundreds, which is maybe like five. I couldn't listen to ten percent of, of his records. shit. Like I couldn't. No, dude, yeah. it's naked. City, it's Masada. Yeah, it's and not even fucking... all of Masada. Some of Masada is kind of boring. Yeah, uh, like, I, the I'll, Chiefs I'll Masada like... man is so good. Like I, that's I like arranged music. I like music that's not just a bunch of improv. Like mm-hmm, I like mm-hmm. the fact that people could improv. And like, but I, it's the same with jazz. Like, I like to play jazz. I don't want to go and listen to you solo for ten hours. Like, I just don't. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't care how good you are. I want to hear arrangements and composite. Like, that's what they would do in that old film music. It was like jazz players, but they were like playing arranged stuff. And there's there's room for some improv in there, but like soloing ten times over all of me. Like, even if you're the shreddingest guy in the world, is just kind of boring to me. I agree. And and like maybe what they're chasing is that you know one percent of genius that comes out of that 10 they, hours they have some good yeah. stuff even some of those live masada things but um i don't know dude i know there's only a few like og masada albums that yeah. i i have and I mean, how many are there like, like 50 there's of them? 10 uh, uh, dude he does like mul- it's like 10 of the first three guys uh, yeah. 
it was just fucking him and uh Trump, Dave I, Douglas on trumpet and yeah Trevor would play sometimes someone else who's who play who's his uh, resident oh, stand-up bass player what's his Trevor name Trevor plays a lot now but I don't know who was doing it before Trevor it, it, um, there's it's he's he, there's a guy that does all the Masada shit yeah and, Trevor's uh, on some of the Masada stuff but there's just so much of it Trevor's yeah. actually on some of the really good shit which is like the semi locker stuff oh yeah have you ever heard that any I of those still have, I, I am such a bad like a keeping up no that's okay but okay if if you're gonna take away one thing from this try out simulacrum check that out simulacrum simulacrum or i I don't know how to pronounce it like an artificial human isn't that what it means oh good thing i i don't even uh uh, john john bougial some french guy wrote a book called like simulation or some shit an image or representation of someone or something an unsatisfactory imitation or substitute you guys yeah. are so much quicker. I don't. It gets into some post. There's word. like some postmodernism, uh, like uh, stuff with that idea. That's philosophical pushed it. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's my, like his heaviest. Field. That's literally probably his heaviest shit to date. And uh, the guitar player on that is Matt Hollenberg from uh, Cleric. Oh, nice. And the drummer is Kenny. Starts with the G. Allison? Gro- oh. I can't. Re- oh, Greg. Gr- He's in Imperial Triumphant. Okay. He's the drummer of Imperial Triumphant. And dude. And oh, and Medeski's also in it. Uh the who's the organ player? Is that Medeski? Yeah. He plays organ. Uh John Medeski. He's he's like a resident guy who's on one too. Um it's it's a a killer like team up of random Zorn affiliates. And it's heavy, but at the same time, like it breaks down into the surf, it breaks down into the exotica. It's like all these different elements as well, because that's how Zorn does it. Yeah. But dude, I, I'd say check that out for sure. Cause oh, I was actually, yeah, that like that made me excited because those guys are doing really cleric and, and imperial triumphant. Like those two bands are like super powerhouses nice dude <laughs> yeah i know you're not into metal so, no, so okay. we, we're showing we're showing tim one thing after he showed Hell us like yeah, 300 man. things yeah, yeah no. <laughs> or one I'm to three things. i swear i'm here i'm going so hard into beach boys after this guy i know me too like, actually yeah, dude. message me on facebook too because i could send you some stuff like the if i mean i love i love pet look. sounds and a lot of the like hits and stuff like that yeah. but like and now i, I know I need it's to all about it. smile Okay. It's the lost psychedelic Fuck masterpiece yeah, that would have changed the face of American music. Whoa. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm tapping oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. It's, man. Like the, it's like the fork in the road that we didn't take, and instead oh. we got the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Which was a lot of we shit. Fucked up. It was yeah. a lot Although, of shit, honestly, dude. like, like you can still look back and, and say, like, yes, it sucks that everything turned MIDI, but like, I'm not a huge eighties guy, but like, I still listen back. I'm like, Oh, that's a good song. Like, I can hear the melody and the chords. And, and you listen to some of the shit now and it's like, it's not even close to as good as like take on me or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Don't stop believing. Like, like it's a song. I can sing the melody. It's catchy. And you listen to like Ariana Grande or something like, what the fuck? This is just absolute <laughs> garbage. Like it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> the eighties well, was, was everything was going in the wrong direction for sure. But it was a sort of an entertaining fallout from a good couple of decades that had happened before it in, in popular music. 
Yeah, for me, the 80s were basically just like, you know, I was born in 84, so I had my parents just listening to music, you know, listening I, to... I had the Tiger, man. That was my first record I made my mom go out and buy. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was Survivor. like, uh, I mean, you know, Peter Cetera. Peter Cetera, <laughs> dude. That like, was classic rock was like huge with my dad and stuff, but like, um, what really actually stuck was like uh, Depeche Mode and okay. I don't know, which is like, yeah, it's, it's probably like, I mean, listening to him from I mean, a musical standpoint, it's probably like, probably tough for your... your <laughs> Yeah. well they have it's like it's like beach boys they have a lot of different songs it's not only that song yeah no that's the that whole one that a billion invasion, new wave whatever the hell they called it yeah, yeah there's only like it's only a couple bands from that era that like but they also like it's not because i'm like oh the music was very like oh my god it's mine it's like literally just nostalgia of me being a child and like, there's a lot of catchy songs from the 80s there really are like if you're just talking yeah, yeah. about a song like you could go for everything from like george michael to oh yeah even madonna like some it's like they're it's like i don't like it i don't i'm not gonna put it on but it's a catchy freaking song i'm like well know? the reason why it sold that many albums pre-social media like telling people what to listen to i mean they nowadays it's like some merit to it even exactly. though like all of these horrible messages for your kids and all these things, <laughs> yeah. superficiality taken to the extreme. Oh man. Um, yeah, I know. But- yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. No, there's yeah, there's some sort of commonality of just like humans listening to something like, okay, well I'm moving my head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, like they didn't have like, like you're uh, someone you look up to on social media being like, this is the next sick album or something like no, that. Those productions like, wouldn't have been easy. I mean, they didn't have computers. They, they had to like program it into stuff. So you listen back and you kind of wonder on something like, how'd they get that sound? Totally. What's that thing? Um, what's that song that always plays from from freaking Breakfast Club? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. About me, there's yep. this little keyboard that comes in. Don't you? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, how is did they get that sound right there? Totally. It's amazing. I would kill for that sound. I don't know what it is. But, you know what's um, weird about that song is that song literally like how uh, for whatever reason like maybe it's because of movies or something, but it like I was born in '84, graduated '02, but it somehow brings me to being in high school in the 80s when it like yeah it does it, like it makes me th- like feel like i have a backpack on with like a red like puffy coat and i'm like going to high school in the 80s somehow <laughs> like it somehow like it provides a landscape of like things that never happened you know? yeah that's <laughs> no, not a bad song I, I i still hear it all the time like it's like you're in the grocery store and it's on like why is this song still on Oh like, man, grocery store songs. <laughs> I hear Bon Jovi's "Bad Medicine" almost on a daily basis because in the car, like my my stuff doesn't work, so I can play anything from my iPod or anything. I need to fix it, so I'm always just I'll, I'm content to just go to like classic rock because there's nothing good on, and I might hear a good song, but there's always going to be like Tom Petty, Bon Jovi, "Bad Medicine." They play every day. I don't know why. ACDC. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh god, I can't. Yeah. I, if I'm, I if I hear "Start Me Up" one more time, I'm gonna kill somebody. <laughs> Did you say iPod? You still got a working iPod? I do because I have this crazy collection. I'm too, so dude. invested in my iTunes rating system that I have like 15,000 songs and playlists, smart playlists. I, and I, I won't even update my Apple system because I'm afraid of that new little music program and what it's going to do to my collection. I, don't, I just have no idea. So I'm nah, sticking dude. to what I got. Don't, yeah. dude. Don't link up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Steve Jobs from Beyond the Graves. He's gonna put he's gonna put like multiple U two albums on your fucking exactly. He's gonna ruin all my ratings. I'm, I I there I I just got a recent like comfort in knowing that there's people that refurbish them. Wow, you send it out for like yeah, they don't last that like, long. They kind of suck. Well, because 
what the thing is is that back in the day you used to be able to go to somebody's house and just be my shit's manually manually managed yeah music yeah so i could just plug into your shit and just drop things into my ipod dude absolutely Yep. I'd go over to Dan Kenny's house all the time, dude. Like, what'd you download? It's illegally? funny that there's not okay. a, like a good alternative. You wonder what's the, what's gonna happen with people's digital collections because everyone's streaming. But like, yep. I I don't really stream much. I don't even I don't even have Spotify working. I think I have title that I don't know why I even keep paying for because it, it can do hi-fi, but I barely ever use it. So and I thought about this my- recently too. I I I uploaded eighty to ninety percent of those albums on that ipod i sat there and uploaded it into a computer ripped it and then fucking dropped it in and so time consuming dude yeah i saw a disturbing statistic today that uh i mean it's going around it might not be 100 percent true but it's uh it's talking about the ceo of spotify and he's made like He's worth $3.7 billion or something. And they're like, that's three times as much as Paul McCartney. And he's never written one song. Dude, <laughs> like, wow. It's I like, it's yeah, insane. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to put our stuff on there. I mean, it's definitely not worth it from a financial point. Maybe there's some, you know, benefit to the reach you can get. I mean, maybe yeah. I'll put like one or two songs on from High Castle, but I don't want them to be able to stream the record. By the way, I like that to too, like, De- uh... by the way, listen to Cali Death Podcast on Spotify. <laughs> We're up there. We, we, make, hey, make zero, we make zero. You gotta do what from. you can. I know. You get you get a check for like less than one cent. And you're like, how oh, do I yeah, cash yeah, that? Yeah. It's like a fraction. No, that's how uh, Red Fiction was. I was like, uh, Red Fiction came out and I was like, or you know, uh, Atomic Ape, the new uh, Jason album. Yeah. I was like, I need to get this. Like, I need. To, I was like, I did the lazy thing. Let's search for it on Spotify. Wasn't there, and then had to. Uh, I soak. I soak it. Search for it. I basically was like, was like, I need this. Like, it actually kind of brings like some sort of old school kind of like classic looking for albums in a fucking records record store kind of mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. thing to me where i was like i need to find this album like i need to get this album and mm-hmm. i like literally like did search engines to find it and paid some i think it was zorn's label because yeah, um, exotic does not have great distribution they don't. no it was not it, was, no, and it showed up like a month or two later and it was like <laughs> it was it was like written like uh my my bill was like on a fucking like a diner fucking oh my God. <laughs> a diner slip <laughs> It received, but I, I kind of liked it. I was like, it kind of made me like a little nostalgia. I was like, yeah. you know, like, like I was like, oh man, I had to like, yeah, you can't find this. you can't find anything from that label on any streaming service. Yeah, I didn't, just, I didn't, just, I didn't say, hey Siri, play. Yeah, I didn't say, hey Siri, fucking show me this real quick, and it just starts <laughs> playing while I'm dri- like driving, like farting in my car. Like I yeah. literally <laughs> had to be like, all right, you have to want it. Like you have to yeah. look for it and stuff yeah, like that. Dude, so it actually cool, made it kind of fun again. That's awesome yeah it's it's cool to bring that back so i actually support you guys just do not do streaming services just fucking make people that want it get it i've always then- been more into getting a fan like people would like he i someone had mentioned something earlier uh one of you guys have like ripped it and i made a joke of like how dare you but like I, I never cared. I was like, we're making a fan music to me is kind of free. Like it's cool to get compensated, come to our show or whatever, but I am looking, especially with high castle. That's why we're doing these like email incentives and things. We're trying to like make a fan um, that, that like gets something from what we do. And like something that's out of the ordinary, even for bands, like, 
Um, you know, so that, that's the main thing more so than getting, I mean, $10 one time from a download or something like it's, it's just not that you don't make much money off records. You have to sell so many to even sniff where it could replace an income or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, uh, overexposure of just everything. It's like, it's, people uh, aren't very excited about music back in the day. Music yeah. was like the equivalent of an Xbox. And now it's like, it's just a background and something you can put on, on YouTube or there's mystery. There used to be mystery. Yeah. It used to be like Under the record oh. store tomorrow. It's going to be so awesome we're yeah, gonna you buy know you heard the one kind of or, clip of something and you're like oh fuck yeah. i'm gonna go buy it now like i'm gonna go buy the whole not thing very important to most people it's really yeah not. and then that's a I, I can justify that or um reconcile it with the fact that it, it's a kind of mirror of the superficiality of our current culture so i it, it's true what, what would you really expect anything differently from this culture i, I wouldn't it's more it's more faster and cheaper like yeah. can i get can i get the most the fastest and the cheapest mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. that's like nowadays we're so used to i mean we have the phone like anytime like we have any kind of like thoughts where we're like oh i have to like sit here with my own thoughts we could just grab a phone and just start looking at the phone no, and just kind of like block your actual like human thoughts out back when like you know used to sit in a fucking waiting room and just look around used to look at things and like oh is there a yeah, magazine wall. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, or no. we'll take a shit somewhere and like if yeah, a don't even bottle. get me started on this subject. Yeah. Like, we can have me on some other time <laughs> if you want my take on that. All right. <laughs> but, um, All right. I'm super stoked when it says you're down this week on screen time. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. I'm doing some shit right now. Dude. Yeah, I'm, that's good. I'm improving yeah. my life, dude. Well, um, I'll just tell you like you know, I don't like you guys. I, I'll come like not that anyone wants another one of me anytime soon, but like after the High Castle record comes on, if you guys want to do anything to do with that, or we could get oh, some other totally, guys from dude. the band on. Um, totally, get anyone you want to on I'd there. I'd love fucking Timbo um, to come on. Just, just ask, to ask, Dave to ask. come on. I yeah, can probably make any of that happen and I can come on anytime and more of like a, now that we've done all like the overview stuff, we could be more like specific of like yeah, going definitely. to the high castle record or whatever, but ask me anytime and I, I can make it work. It's like you oh, guys, yeah, it's yeah. like, I mean, I literally just told you that my favorite song ever is corporate, mer- like ever right. corporate merger. It's like, literally, I'm not even like, I was, I wanted to say it before, like pretty, I told you pre pod. I was like, Ugh! I like had to stop. And I was like, <laughs> like in the middle of it. Cause it literally, I listened to it like a couple days ago and it wasn't even because you were going to be on the podcast. I just wanted to listen to it. It's just like, yeah. it literally brings me in this cool mood. And it's, it's like you guys in this band spawn of possession, like are like, like literally like hand in hand, just like bands. I'm like, what the, f-? like my, when I first heard it, just like, this is, this is the move. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a holding the head move it's like what the fuck these guys are like geniuses you know but um yeah anytime you guys want to do anything you guys are totally fucking welcome on and we might even fucking bother you to come back on so yeah it, after the record comes out invite me as early as you think it's not like annoying or whatever that the guy was just on or whatever whatever yeah. you think the right spacing is i'll totally. let you guys figure that out but um well thank you for coming on really appreciate you coming you on think this propensity to use the word i heard you use it a couple of times and I, I everyone around me are you guys noticing this increase in the frequency of the use of the word literally yeah people need to say it as as if there was some question that there was some figurative speech i know no, no, no. the same no, no no i'm not i'm not no, i didn't take many english classes so i mean no but you hear every, I, it wasn't you I, I hear everyone around it i was like you weren't speaking figuratively like if i said like <laughs> The birds of my mind were flying wildly to and fro today, and then literally a bird crashed into the window. Like you know, or whatever. Like to, to, to... never mind. That was just my parting. Thought. No, I love it. I love yeah. it. I, I literally just flew to the moon today. <laughs> Dude, no, we're, we're, 
<laughs> you don't even realize how deep we go into birds in our oh, cool. private <laughs> conversations, dude. So that's good. Then I hit a it somehow. <laughs> See, the, no, awesome. the, the language we use is so like it's so. Joel easy. doesn't believe they're real. Dude. No, I There's... do. It's a joke. I have the I follow the birds aren't real <laughs> okay. movement. Nice. It's like, like a, it's like a, it's like, a, it's, like a, it, it's like having fun with like satirical like conspiracy theory stuff. Sure. It's like, and they're actually they're actually uh, they're going to Twitter to go fucking to go uh, like literally go march in front of Twitter because they're because Twitter like literally because uh they're, like Twitter like is promoting a real bird as yeah. their as their logo. I don't know anything about that conspiracy theory, but I'm, I'm not a person. <laughs> it's a who, joke. It's a joke. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a but joke. I'm not a person who necessarily writes off the idea of them because they're the history. Oh, no, I know, I know, full I know. of them. I, whenever anyone is like, oh, usually I'm like. Go look up MK Ultra and then let's talk. We'll talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's always, there's things that always turn out to be real, and there's things well, that birds are definitely aren't real. Like. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, one I can get behind. <laughs> exactly. Just, uh, literally, like I have, a, I have like a big flat fucking... Earth of birds, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. where it came from. Is the flat Earth? But uh, it's, it's yeah. like a my, my shirt I have is just has a big pigeon on it. It says I am a lie, <laughs> <laughs> and people think I'm serious. Awesome. <laughs> just love it. I don't know. It's like, just, well, yeah, well, yeah. Um, thanks for having me on guys it was Fuck a yeah. pleasure this one yeah. you know, i've Hell done yeah. a bunch of these but this is the only one that turned into like a sort of a living room conversation which was cool nice oh yeah yeah i never Hell know yeah, what direction dude. sometimes people i get pretty tangential and there's been people with like you know just allowed me to go way off in the, into left field but um i always like sort of being reeled back in by some like questions about what so everything sort of the rhythm of it i think was cool and Hell awesome, awesome, man. Tim. yeah that's awesome dude that makes me feel like we're doing something i'm right. also tim what are your biggest influences <laughs> <laughs> go over some of those There's a lot. Oh, yeah, dude. Right, next time you. Yeah. Well, no, thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate you, you coming on, man. It means a lot yeah. to all of us. Anytime, guys. Thanks oh, yeah. for having oh, yeah. it. I will um, spread this around um, with uh, to all our fans once you guys uh, re- are you releasing it like tomorrow. It'll be yeah. coming out the okay. same day as your teaser, dude. So it'll be a nice. Oh, so no, 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 no. So we'll wait. wait till, no, no. You guys can release it, but I, I can only do one thing a day yeah, to yeah. get any attention or else promote it tomorrow. Oh, yeah, then. Dude, yeah. hit it the day after Monday. Monday. Yeah, maybe Monday or Saturday. Apparently, I've been trying to study social media patterns, which I hate, but I am trying to promote. Apparently, Saturday and Sunday is like a terrible day to post. Exactly. Go for it. Monday. Do it Monday. All right, guys. Well, cool. I will keep keep an eye out for cool, dude. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a minute after this. But uh, thanks to all the subscribers, fucking all you listeners out there. We love you. Uh, hit us up on all the social media. Uh, we'll have some cool surprises pretty soon, I think. And uh, have a great week. Yeah. And if you Rock want to be San Diego. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here's that's, the that's you what you get for, for I was trying to get off on the top, dude. <laughs> Can't you guys cut it back into the beginning? For that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, so Casey's playing it. Casey and Joseph have fucking awesome shows coming up. So Casey's going to tell you about his. Do it. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's no, see here. Or not. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. Come to this. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. See that? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Medieval so, yeah. Times. November 6th, so, for the um, listeners, Medieval Times is playing. Um, where is it at? Okay. This Saturday, Medieval Times is playing at 454 Tattoo in Encinitas by Loose Records. Um, on the coast highway in San Diego, California. And, and if uh, uh, you guys all don't the proceeds know. go to Roland from the heart. And uh, apparently that's a cool 
deal here let's share this together. medieval times is a, a, a old old band that Wait. was back in the early early days dude and casey resurrected and his homies resurrected what 17 dude, i might i want to see that shit 17 <laughs> years that. is that what it is here's the proceeds go to this i guess it's pretty cool it's like this joseph what does this say it's gonna build skateboard <laughs> ramps <laughs> in a church <laughs> parking lot <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sounds good to me. Yeah, why not? Providing I mean, I could read it. That's what I. am <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Dude. Oh, Joseph, read it. No, it's like it's a it's a it's a charity for uh, for kids, dis disadvantaged kids, and skateboards. Yeah. Check it out. Right. Rollingfromtheheart.org. Yes. You, right. you can. So that's pretty you, cool. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Oh yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna read it, but that page wouldn't sit still, dude. <laughs> Oh, that's cool, dude. I'll plug my shit next episode. We got months ahead of or a month ahead of the shows. So yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Next anyway, time. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Fucking glad to meet you. Had a blast. Right on, okay, man. Peace out. Yeah, dude. It was super fun, dude. I'm so happy we finally got an Stratosphere guest on here. Me too. Dude. And Me too. uh if you haven't listened to this band by the time this is over, get the fuck on it. And I love you. Party on. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>